Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard, and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL tour. And here we are for another week of the fifth and last NRL podcast. Bit of a change up this week. Set of six, usually how we kick things off. Six topics, opinions, thoughts, anything we want to talk about. But given uh, that most things have sort of been repetitive the last few weekends in terms of subject matter, Parramatta, the logjam, player signings, etc. Inconsistencies and refereeing charges, I think most of it. We've already gone over, I've talked about a lot of it will pop up anyway, but we've brought back fan questions this week instead, Boxhead. It's uh, something that we used to do every single week when we had a little bit more time. Shows were fairly long, but something we sort of took out after a while because we were doing most of it, as we said, probably during the set of six and in our analysis of games and uh, reviews and previews, etc. But for this week, it's all about the fans and they've gone absolutely berserk. There is a lot of questions, so... What we're going to do is review the games from the weekend first, along with our power rankings, and then we'll do all the questions from Facebook and Twitter. Sounds good, man. Uh, there you go. Let's rip straight in. Power rankings to kick us off. Brought to you by the Penrith Solar Centre. There is no one better. We talk about it week in, week out, but it is the absolute truth. If you want to save on your electricity bills, there is no one better. The best defense is offense. So what defense have you got in place against rising power bills? Penrose Solar Center are the leading solar specialists. And whilst you have little control over your team's outcome, the expert team is devoted to giving you back control of those bills. Let the sun work for you, your home, and your back pocket. Save thousands per year. Contact them today, 1800 202930 or www.penrithsolar.com.au. Number one, Brock, Melbourne Storm. Yeah. Number two, and especially with the return of Nathan Cleary solidifying things, Penrith Panthers. Yep. Number three, South Sydney Rabbitohs. Yep. Number four, Manly Oringa. Yeah, tough one for me. Tough. Yeah, I sort of still got the Roosters there, but um, I think if Manly played the Roosters, uh, Manly would probably win, so I'll, I'll throw Manly in at four, Roosters at five. I think currently they give the Roosters a hiding with the players they're missing. But I, I don't think so, but yeah. We'll I'd, I'll go the Roosters at five. Parramatta still at six. Yeah. Uh, seven, they've not been impressive the last two weeks, but they're there on the ladder, so I've stuck with Newcastle. Me too. And number eight, uh, probably more so because the results have been close, so I've put the Raiders above the Titans. Yeah, I'll put the Warriors there. Streaky. Yep. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> I think that, that position is going to change every week. The Titans were abysmal on the weekend. They had a chance to 
prove themselves that they could compete against those top sides. Um, they're going to get a good chance on Thursday night as well with Hughes and Finucane out. But I think the Titans are now none from eight against top five teams this year. So that's that's a pathetic record. Well, there's more than just uh, Hughes and Finucane. There's Cheese, there's Olam, and I'm pretty sure somebody else, and still no Nelson, no Tui. So, yeah. Um, We're forever going to beat them. It'll be this week. Mm. And that'll be a huge result in terms of trying to secure a final spot. So. Well, I think a few things, again, are at play where you've got Newcastle with the first four and against. Need to keep winning. Did win, but have now lost Frizzell for a week and Daniel Safedi potentially for three to five weeks. You've got Cronulla who've had a few close ones, but their draw is still favourable, but they must win this week against the Tigers, who also blew that game against the Warriors, but find himself, because of other results, still mathematically in a chance, much like the Warriors, who again beat the Tigers and have now rattled off three in a row. So I don't think the madness is... Tigers, Sharks is essentially a... It's an eliminator. It's an eliminator. And then you've got, obviously, the Raiders, who looked shot after the Newcastle game, but results have gone in their favour. They've had a close one again on the weekend, which they probably should have won. Um, but, again, the results have worked out to a point where they've still got a sniff somehow. Yeah. So. Well, they've got a sniff because they're all as bad as one another. Yeah. Um, and I'd probably throw the Eels into that basket now. Like, I, I don't know whether the Eels are going that great that they you'd confidently tip them against Newcastle, Gold Coast, Canberra, Cronulla, like any of those sides who are probably the favourites to pitch that last spot so I think Parramatta have really you know we said that there were six all year and there, there is six in terms of the competition points they've been able to recruit but their form's fallen into that sort of category for me yeah no disagreement here but that wraps up the power rankings brought to you by the Penrose Solar Centre contact them today 1800 20 or the website .com.au review of the round and the games that just happened. Speaking of the Melbourne Storm, 26-16 with the Canberra Raiders. And no surprise, as is always generally the case, the Raiders threw the kitchen sink at Melbourne. It was even more so this week because this was essentially a finals game for them. They really needed to load up either in this one or the Manly game to try and grab one to really give themselves a chance, even though results have worked out in their favour now. But... Um, after a fast start, the first half, it just fell apart. Melbourne, after a slow start, had a bit of a blitz period, opened them up on the right-hand side, blew it out to a 20-4 to lead at halftime, and you thought, honestly, that the score could turn out to be anything. But uh, they came out second half. They were very scrappy, as they have been the last few weeks. Errors gave away a lot of possession territory, and the Raiders found a lot of love, in particular Melbourne's right edge, where you had Eremiah, who's young, He's super keen, but really, really bad habit of cutting in front of his centre or jumping in, and he did that a few times. But um, honestly, I thought this game was there for the taking for Canberra. They had enough chances. Melbourne gave them enough ball. Every time they got into a good position, they either made an error or they gave away a penalty. Like Errors and discipline just killed Canberra. Yeah, that's been the story of their year. They, just, they weren't able to take, take their chances, really. Uh, they, they turned up with plenty of effort and enthusiasm. Uh, I guess as they they really have done for sort of the last month to six weeks, but they need to start channeling in their discipline. You're right, um, just killing them. And, and they they always play Melbourne tough. They always play Melbourne close. So I, I was really confident that they they get in and rip in and um, play Melbourne really close. But 
Yeah, Melbourne weren't at the top of their game either, and Canberra just never could never really pin it. Like you said, it's whenever Melbourne sort of made an error or gave away a penalty, and Canberra would do something just as negative, and um, yeah, they're just not playing well, are they? Canberra, like they're not playing consistently enough across eighty minutes. Like their their good periods are certainly top eight footy, but God, their bad periods are are really, really bad. So I guess for this last three weeks, they're just going to try and put as close to 80 minutes together as they possibly can. And this is one of those games where I look at it and I guess for the fans of Canberra, it's probably more frustrating that you wish they would play the Melbourne jersey every week because it seems like whenever they play Melbourne, they've got a point to prove. They were awfully physical. They laid in on everything. They were really trying to impose themselves on the game. But again, at the same time with that aggression and that intent, uh, they sort of undone themselves. But I looked at patches of that game and thought if this was the team that we would have got across the year, those six or seven results that they blew 10-point leads or you know lost by six or less would probably be the other way around. 100%. So disappointing in the end. But for them, like I said, the results have worked out in a way that they've still got a chance. But they really front-loaded a lot of energy. Harawir and Iris hit at the end of the game was awful and... Um, he's going to be out for the rest of the season. He got three weeks in the end, I think, because of a seven-season discount. I don't even think he's been in the NRL for seven seasons, so that must include Cup or Flag. I, I, I never understood quite when they start judging that, but because there's a judiciary for those, I'm assuming it goes from there onwards. Um, but that discount's essentially probably saved him half the band for what was a, a very bad shot to the head. And the, the fact I read... Some bits and pieces, people saying, well, that's a slip, or he didn't have any intent. Like, there's no rap. He's launched out of the line. He's got him straight in the face. So I don't know how cut and dry you want to make it. Do I think his intent was to hurt him? No, that's not the point, but it was a bad tackle. Yeah. No, I agree, man. There's no, no way to defend it. Wanted... Yeah, I don't think there was, there was intent to, to be aggressive and to get off and to, to yeah. hit, but I don't think there was intent to hit in the head. No. When he, you get off at that sort of speed without intent, you lose your technique. Yeah, and he lost it. That's that's as simple as it is. So, uh, and he's, he's not that type of guy. Like having coached Corey for two or three years, like he's he doesn't have a bad bone in his body. And you know how he handled it post being sent, and um, you know what he did up after the game, and even when he was on the field, like showed the type of character that he, he is. But. Yeah, it was good to see him get rewarded for his good record of the judiciary. I think three weeks is a fair a fair sentence for someone that's got a clean record, no prize um, for that type of tackle. And that was the point I was going to make. You, you don't get that sort of discount without the clean record, so rightfully no, so. It's not something that, you, it's not something that Jerome Hughes or Melbourne Storm needed. No. Because we saw what, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the same sort of incident that Pappenhausen won earlier in the year on, in Magic Round, but... Well, to be honest... Yeah, I... Just how volatile these concussions can be. It's just not the time of the year where you want your halfback out, so... No. Well, if, if you want to be honest, I thought that hit was harder, but people will react differently. Some people... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I wasn't trying to downplay it. I, I just no, no. That, like, it, was clearly, it clearly didn't affect him as much as the hit on Pappenhausen affected him. Yeah. So... And that's... But it's just, you just don't want it. Like, it's... Yeah, it's not something you want to be dealing with at this, at this time of the year. No, well, especially, like we said, someone who's that brave and plays into the line and runs the football. Yeah. Like, there's a possibility that 
if it does have any sort of lingering effects over the next week or two, that he may be a bit gun And we've seen that with Pappenhausen, but I think Pappenhausen's history, being a smaller guy, people are a lot more aggressive with him. And again, go back to that point you made, lose technique because they really try to manhandle him. So at times, he's probably copped a few more uh, shots and we've seen him come back nice and slowly here, but just also the effect. They've, 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 they've proven that some people are a lot more susceptible to concussion and the long-term effects of concussion than others and recovery and how they handle it. And um, for, Yeah, for Melbourne's sake, fingers crossed, Hughes is only out for a week or two at best and he doesn't have those long-term repercussions like Pappenhausen did with the mood swings and the headaches and uh, all the other bits and pieces that come with it. But for Melbourne, uh, they roll on. The record is up for grabs to be equaled this week. They were far from clinical. Still, like we said, a lot of guys missing and to come back into that team... Uh, but most importantly, they just keep winning. And for the Raiders, uh, I thought Young, Hudson Young had a massive game. Rapana's been very, very busy while at one, and, and Simonson's return yielding the hat-trick. But um, it's just another one of those moments where I look at it, and like I said before, the discipline, the errors, but that intent, if that was there all year, I, I don't think we ever would be questioning anything in terms of place of top eight. They would have been in the top eight. They would have probably been sitting somewhere like Parramatta with ease and clear of that pack. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, missed opportunity, unfortunately, for them. But we move on. Panthers-Dragons, 34-16. to 16. Uh, The first half, I don't think Penrith could have given away any more opportunity, possession, and ball. But this one's all summed up by the point I made the other week. You put Nathan Cleary back in, and you unlock the rest of the team. He is the steering wheel. Luai played his best game in weeks. Matt Burton, who's already been outstanding, was even better with the freedom to float around the field and just be himself. Yo and his ability to link up was even more profound with Nathan back there. The kicking game, the control, Dylan Edwards is in more positive positions and handling the football and a lot more free and organ. Like just everything flowed a lot better with Cleary there and it made a huge difference. Yeah, he's just that he links the side together. He he sews the side together because he links you know, the middle of the left and the middle of the right. Uh, I, you know, I didn't think it was their their best performance, but it's certainly something to build on now that he's back. And don't underestimate the impact that it has having your half back out for, you know, during that eight-week origin period. Like, he's, he's probably not really there for, you know, at least five weeks of that. And then when he is there, you know, trying to put him in cotton wool, they rested him, you know, a little bit during that period as well, I think. So... You just lose all that cohesion and that consistency that they built right up until, I think it was round 12 or 13, that they, they lost the streak against uh, the West Tigers and, and the Origin period sort of hit. So, you know, it just this demonstrates the impact that Origin has when you're a really successful team and you've got a lot of players in there like Penrith do. So uh, I think it's the first step in them trying to rebuild themselves back into you know, some sort of version of what they were prior to, to Origin. So, and look, I thought St. George for a lot of that game were quite good. Like, their, their effort's always good, St. George. They just can't seem to... They're similar to Canberra. They just can't seem to have really tidy discipline and concentrate for long periods of time, enough time to, to put teams under pressure, so... Yeah, look, I think the Panthers will just get better and better and better, and this week will be a real good litmus test for them because Stouts are playing some good footy, so uh, it's, it's a good test for Penrith, and I think just as much for, 
They haven't lost since Penrith beat them by 50. Well, there you go, yeah. And I think on the flip for Penrith, they're going to get back potentially Fish, Pungai Jr., etc. So they're going to be closer to full strength. Um, And it's been clunky, like you said, so it's a real good test with your players back to start building towards finals. And I don't think a loss would really matter for Penrith, in all honesty, just because that period has had such an effect. But it's a real good test with everyone back on deck to see where you're at at this time of the year. You don't want to lose, but you don't you don't really mind it. It's not, no, no well, it's not like they're jostling for home field advantage or anything like that. I, I, I think... But I heard a few people talking like, well, you know, would you try your hardest or would you show them everything? It's like, well, what... Penrith play a style that... It's all about, well, here's how we're going to play. You guys stop it. Yeah. Well, I think Seattle's are very similar. Like, they're left side heavy and they've certainly got their... Their style, you know, like I don't think you're going to see anything out of the ordinary that's, that's R- going to. Um... Rugby league, no offense, sorry to interrupt. Rugby league, you don't really see much surprise. You do all the video, we do all the preparation, and it comes down to exactly what you just said. Can you stop it? Correct. Yeah. We, we all generally find tendencies in video and preparation and who's the key players and what they like to do, but like we've said about Melbourne for all these years, all the roosters and their periods of dominance and the, the bits and pieces they like to do. If you can't stop it, it doesn't matter if you know it's coming. That's it, yeah. Um, I think we all know the heavy traits to a couple of these sides, but my, my more point for Penrith is just what you said. Like They've got through this period, they've lost some games, they've won some games, they've had injuries, suspensions, constant changes. This is probably the closest they're going to be to their first full-strength run. So I just think it's a really good time of the year to have a match-up like this. If they were in full flight like before, uninhibited, in form, no injuries, no origin, I'd be back in Penrith to the hilt to probably defeat South, particularly the way they defended early in the year as compared to the Souths and that side of the ball has been a real issue. But I, I think for South, this is a real good time to get a, a benchmark side. And I think for Penrith, it's a real good test for the first time, getting everyone back together and probably not having all that cohesion right now, but just to really start to steal them up for the finals. Yeah, uh, exactly. The Dragon side of thing in this, I just... We've talked about it weeks ago. A lot of people went off about it, but we've been saying it. I've been banging my head against the wall saying it. Amone showed you more in 2025 minutes than Norman showed all year. Yeah. Um, And that's not a personal, like, again, it's not the whole thing. Like, I saw a lot of people angry about what Fox Sports did, which was horrible. They put up all the comments from social media of people shredding Corey Norman. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm just bringing up the objective side from a coaching point of view. You've got a guy who's on big money who's not going to be at your club next year and you've got this really good group of young kids, and he's one of them, you need to take the opportunity yeah, to, to get your games. Yeah, exactly. Or put him somewhere else where you're struggling yeah. if you have to. Like Same as the Bird and Dufty thing at that one. Like Sloan gets a game, he goes in and out. I know people probably thinking it's a little bit to do with burnout, but to play five or six NRL games to finish the year, if he's not going to hold up doing that now, he's not going to hold up playing a full season next year. Yeah. So I, I just think it's wasted opportunity and the other part was well they could still make finals this that and the other are they really going to go further than week one so what's more important getting some reps into those guys and getting some live shots in the next few weeks or playing guys that you know you're already moving on so like the the bird thing the effort's outstanding he's a really good football player he tries hard but he's not a one put him back in the centers with Lomax that's your pair next year for Guy and Ravalawa you've, you've got that sorted 
put Sloan at the back, put Amone in, whether it be with Clune or Norman, or if Sullivan's the go and you're worried about having two of them in there at the same time, well, rotate those two the next two weeks between 14 and a half and pair them with one of those veterans to steer the side around. Like, you have to put time into getting those reps in because it's not going to be good enough next year come round one or two to start doing that. You've got a chance right now. Yeah. Um, and probably the other uh, side... Spoken about it on the pod for, for weeks, man. Hmm. The only other side, I guess, people are starting to question some of the signings. They got Molo um, coming in. They've got Sua from the Rabbitohs, George Burgess off hip surgery, and today and Bayer. And they've obviously had other deals like your Birds, your Maguire's, your McCulloch's, where they're getting that sort of money ball value we talked about with a bit of the cap problems that they've had that he's come into trying to balance things out. I kind of sit there and go, it's all well and good, but same deal again. Now you've introduced him by what positions he play next year. Does that hinder another one of these kids again? Are they looking at him as the potential six replacement, which stops Amone and Sullivan for another year? Does it stop Sloan from playing fullback? Does Hunt finally go to nine and McCulloch, you know, even though they've signed him for a couple of years, they, they sort of share that role? I don't know. Um, I, I didn't really agree when they got McCulloch, they gave him three years straight away I thought for the rest of this year was a good idea and he does a solid job but with the way the game's moving I still don't think it's a real great long term move he's a good footballer but if they want to play finals and they want to advance I just think some of the moves they've made probably don't have bad value attached to them but I don't think it's really advancing their football team no yeah and exactly right it's like well the fact that you've got to go and get value screams to the fact that you can't attract quality Mm, and that's the other side of it. it and then they're talking about kick out like we spoke about the other week $800,000 and the Cowboys and for those two teams it screams exactly the point if he was going to stay at Penrith he'd probably have to accept 600 650 max whereas to go to a bottom four club or go outside of that and go play somewhere else to get that money who do you think is going to pay that money it's going to be a bottom four or a bottom eight club I think Penrith want to put Liam Martin in anyway I don't think I think there's a real appetite to keep kick-outs, to be honest. Well, the other thing is if well, they... I don't, I don't have an inside word into it, but no, that's but, the impression that I get. But salary cap's a salary cap. We already know they've loaded up heavily on multiple players, so there's going to have to be someone leave the team at some point in one of those positions. Martin's there. Yeah. Tago's showing some glimpses. Like, you don't debut a kid at 19 years old if you're not a big fan, so he's more yeah, he's than likely. Well. You know, they found a bit of value in a couple of guys there. I'm sure they'll try and find someone on the market and or internally, but yeah, just I, I look at some of the moves like a sewer and I'm like, well, he can't get a run in his team right now. Yeah. Like I know he played Origin, but we know they're short of injury and I've always liked Jaden Sewer, but it's been four or five years now and we're still not seeing consistent in our football. I'm sure they paid an okay price, but is that going to fix your problem? Like just getting George Burgess off a major hip surgery probably for a cheap price is it just rolling the dice because it's cheap? Are you are you going to try and just see what happens? But Molo, again, got a debut really off injuries, got dropped from his own Cowboys teams back in now, but that deal is worth reportedly half a million dollars. I don't think that's value. So I look again, I'm more frustrated from a Dragons fan, like fucking play Amone, play Sullivan, play these guys as well in conjunction with trying to recruit. Like if we're just going to get veterans and plug it up and try and be a middle-rung team and block that, you're going to lose them. Yeah. Like, if Sullivan doesn't get a run next year, I'm not saying he's a home run, but someone will take a chance on Sullivan. Yeah. He will go. Um, he's got one year left, and then, you know, if that happens with a Monet over next year and he's blocked out and 
doesn't get that chance even though he's young. I know they've got him for another two years on top, but who's to say he doesn't try to push his weight? Like, there's only so long you can hold back. Yeah. And probably one of the bigger moves, and I don't, I don't know about their fans, but, like, after all they did for Jack, I knew they were going to re-sign him, but that deal is long. It is long, and it is big money, and the rules changed, and, like, he's doing okay, and I know another off-season probably helps, but I don't really think for that one either they've got value for money. He, he's my age, or year younger, just. He's missed two years, and he signed, I think, until 24 with a player option for 25. Yeah, it's a long way away. Like 750000 or somewhere around there for someone who hasn't played for two years. That They're getting value in a few spots, but I think they're blocking development pathways in a few others and they're making some money ball moves for what I think, again, is potentially not going to develop the side any further. Yeah. So just my opinion, but we'll, uh, we'll see what happens there. And for Penrith, like we said, a uh, bit of ring rust, but good signs for all those players around Nathan, getting some guys back and they'll, they'll keep building on top of what they're already doing right now and we'll get a real good glimpse of them this week but Roosters Broncos fucking hell this was strange <laughs> I don't really know how else to describe it Brisbane's effort and intent has been so much better the last few weeks the Roosters to keep playing the way they are lost Angus to that suspension Jared had to be arrested with all of his issues punch for punch it was a weird old game they were behind for 70 minutes they found a way back into it but the finish was just out of control the field goal to then turn into the Radley moment and the penalty for the missed field goal to then go down the other end make an error have like their second I think that was like their third successful challenge of the night for something the bunker didn't pick up or no one picked up live and then another penalty goal to win the game like that was just a fucking crazy 10 minutes crazy yeah it was crazy yeah um, <clears throat> but I I agree with the Radley incident like like as a coach, I don't, I don't teach players to lose their legs like that. Yeah, I think that's the and issue. Like he was rushing up and he sort of got on his um, on Albert Kelly's left shoulder, and he the fact that he came up so hard on his outside meant that he sort of had to change direction and come back and lose his feet in order to charge down. Mm. Um, and the, the people defending, I guess the fact that it's, you know, I know it's an effort play and I know that he's, he's just trying to charge down the ball. But yeah, but once you lose your legs. Yeah, I think that the, the, he certainly, that's the part of it he got wrong. Yeah. Losing his legs, then you lose control. So even if he, he got the ball, he was still going to make dangerous contact with probably both of Kelly's legs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like I was a bit 50-50 on it when I saw it live. Like, I, you know, we're huge NFL fans. Like, if an NFL punter or an NFL kicker, you can just basically break their leg in that situation. Like, there's no area there to protect the players. Um, if you can if you can get the ball... Yeah, I'm sort of in the... I'm in the, uh, I guess, the side of the argument where I'm coaching my players just not to lose their legs. If, if you don't lose your legs... Essentially, I don't think you're going to make contact with the kicker's legs. No, and he, he... it always it always sort of puts you in a position where you know you can go to the kicker and you can you can wrap and you can get your body in front, and I mean you can use your arms to to charge the ball down rather than you know sort of losing losing all control and 
a lot of the time when you lose your legs, you hit the planting leg of the kicker, which is, I think, what we're trying to eliminate. Um, it was an ugly incident. The Tupanua one, I guess to the letter of the law, it's a, it's a penalty, particularly with the way that the rules have been interpreted this year, but I thought it was a soft penalty. Um, but again, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought yeah, tough one for the tough one for the Broncos. Thought it was a poor way for it all to end, and same the other way. Like Radley, like you said, with his effort and chase, essentially he got the job done. But when he lost his legs in that moment, and we saw the leg bend that way, it's probably a miracle that Kelly didn't get injured. Um, he, again, he didn't have intent to hurt him. He's just made the effort to get there. But the end result has definitely had an impact on why you've seen the penalty. And I think if he doesn't lose his legs and gets across. Miss or no miss, or he runs into him and just knocks him on his ass. It's, yeah, it's a different story. But that as soon as he landed on the leg and lost his legs, I thought, yeah, this is probably going to be a penalty. Yeah. Uh, speaking on that, and the one at the other end, James Tedesco, he must have a fucking good eye because he, when he called that, I was like, I didn't even know you could challenge that. But he got, I think, three right on the night, um, and it come up good for him multiple times. Yeah. Uh, for Brisbane, like we said, I think the intent has been much better. Some of those slight changes. A um, couple of the guys have introduced just simplifying things. Thought New was pretty good again. Haas has been outstanding week in, week out. And just some of those guys, like we said, that are just purely effort guys, like your Hetheringtons, or giving Ricky that second chance and the nice try that he scored and the way he controlled his body. Um, they're just doing the simple things right. And a few of the guys that have been reintroduced and given a second opportunity, but now they've got Donahue, and uh, obviously I can do on the cap and sort and all the rest of that side I think it's probably freed up Walters because let, let's be honest he, he's not the kind of guy who's going to run a whole operation Co- coaching should be his only focus and that is the case now um, and uh, I think just yeah if, if they keep going this way it's, it's a good building block the move to get rid of Croft to be able to hold on to New is a positive we've seen Willison we've seen a bunch of other guys blooded uh, i I've seen Payakura name the last few weeks. Surely we see him before the end of the season as well. Um, on the Rooster side, Tedesco I thought was outstanding, but on the same time, without being too critical, I thought he well overplayed his hand the other night. And they've, they've done a much better job the last few weeks sort of balancing, using him almost as an extra half, letting Hutchinson steer and kick, let Walker pick his moments, and then they've had Manu almost as that second floater. But the other night it felt like why I absolutely love Teddy. He just really wanted to be on everything, wanted to throw every pass, wanted to be in every single play. And like brave as, bleeding from the mouth, busted up. He had a huge game, but I also thought he'd come up with a lot of shit errors or forced errors, and they didn't find a way to incorporate Manu as much. There was a lot of double sweep shapes and leads and inside balls and things where he was floating around, but they just seemed to have found a way to not really involve him. Um, and I thought they made it awfully hard for themselves. Why I thought Broncos were really, really good, but... Yeah, that moment I'm with you. I don't think it was overly controversial. I, I know a few people blown up the lux about it, but if, if you lose your legs and you put yourself in that position, when we say we want to protect the kickers, you're asking for trouble. And, and quickly going back to the last game, forgot the point, but another one that caused a lot of controversy was Nathan. Was it a shoulder charge? Was it not a shoulder charge? Like, if you want to get be technical, it was a shoulder charge. Um, I can understand yeah, the action. The action was a short charge. Yeah, I understand the, the frustration. Impact, just said the impact wasn't forceful enough. So, mm, but it still can. But that's sort of been the argument. Like, okay, so now we're allowing 
It's a shoulder yeah, charge. Shoulder charge. Measuring force. Hmm. So it was sort of contradicting ourselves a little bit. Oh, I don't have a problem with it because I think it was, you know, it's his first game back. He's trying to protect that arm. I get that. But I, what I have an issue with is how many previously and, and you know, into the future that we're going to get wrong on it. You know, I, I think we've got this one right. Like, it just seems like common sense to me. But the action, we need to work out whether we're penalising... Yeah, for a shoulder charge. ...the action, or we're going to then start measuring force and, you know, wrapping motion, which is all, I think, it's just dangerous and it's very subjective. Um, there was certainly no effort to wrap his arms. He tucked his arm down beside him, which is two of the criteria. I think the one that they let him off on was that he... Um, there was no whiplash and there was no force, so... Look, I, I think the whole judiciary and match review committee system needs needs to be overhauled and thrown in the bin. But we said this three or four years ago, so it's, we, I feel like we're just going round and round in circles on things like this. Um, I, I would have, I probably would have charged him, but I, I would have charged him with a, with a grade one and a fine, just just to be a warning that you know, like we, I understand it's not a forceful shoulder charge but it's still a tackle that we're trying to eliminate from the game. And I just, I feel like it, it may set a dangerous precedent. I, I don't know, that's just my gut feel, that, you know, for anyone who now gets done for a shoulder charge, we use that as an example, particularly if the force is similar. Well, he didn't even get charged for it. Yeah, this is what... can you not use it as an example? You can't. No, well, that's, that's people's frustration. It was cleared in-game, but... Then, like, yeah. Hook brought up the Ravalawa ones. I know they're a little bit different, but you want to talk about target zone. Like, he stupidly jumped at someone and hit him in the stomach without wrapping his arms. But if you're going to get yeah. pinned multiple weeks for something like that and then not pin the other one, it's just more that word we keep coming back to, which is consistency. Yeah. And the bigger frustration, and there's multiple over the weekend that everyone would bring up their team or charges or that. My, my biggest issue out of the weekend's charges is loading. Like, we've seen the positive side of the system with, say, a Harawira and Naira, where being disciplined over a long period of time and a clean player, you're awarded. But, like, Victor well, Radley... Yeah, whatever, the, whatever the action is, there should just be a set punishment for it. Mm, but Victor Radley got 50% loading for priors, yeah, 30, 30 for non-similar, then he had three other 20% loadings for other incidents that are non not related, and it was two years' worth. So I'm like, he's essentially been absolutely fucking smashed and a few of the parts of it have nothing to do with what he did the other night. And that incident in particular, even though he's had a few charges this year, was basically an accident. But he's been smashed because of all those other prize. And I'm... Yeah, look, I look at the Radley one and I just go, like, that's a week. He deserves a week. But it happened. I look at the Cleary one and I'd say it deserves a fine. Uh, the Harawira and Iowa one, I would probably say, yeah, like a four-week suspension. It just be... If you if you watch footy long enough, and if you know we've got decades of experience coaching, watching, playing, you sort of you know what's more serious in terms of what players think is more serious, and what's controllable as a player and what's not controllable. Mm. Um, like the Radley one, his intent was to get the ball. Like Harawira's one was a was an accident. You know where you see some, you just like that is deliberate. Yeah, and you know I think that's where I sort of sit in terms of the judiciary and the suspension 
Look, I, I feel as though we should just absolutely pollux whoever is, does deliberate things in terms of foul play. Whatever is an accident, I sort of fall below that in terms of the impact that it, it then has. But that, that's just my opinion. I'm, I'm not saying that's right. But I, I do think it would be a better system now. We just... I don't understand why we're just so keen to rub players out. Like, and again... We'll... There's enough injuries in our game anyway. Look, and then we... It seems like we... We want players suspended. We want players charged. We want, and I, I think that's our appetite for consistency because we're looking at every tackle, and you know, as soon as we get one, like the Cleary one, irrespective of what action it is, whether it's a shoulder charge or a high tackle or a, you know, a late hit or whatever it is, we want to then compare it to everything else, and that's just that's the culture we've created. That's not anyone's fault. I don't think it's the fans' fault. I don't think it's the players' fault. I don't think it's you know, sort of the judiciary or the match review committee's fault. It's, it's it's just where we've got to as a game. So we we really need to just push the reset button on it and work out what the priority is. Like, is the priority to rub players out or is the priority to minimise how many players are rubbed out unless it's something that's really severe and deliberate? And or, again, priors need to be the same charge. Yeah, I, I don't think you should have priors. Well, I, I do, I do, but it depends on the grade. If it's a grade one or contrary yeah. conduct or something minor, I don't understand how you can keep carryover points or keep getting punished. If you're done for reckless or for tripping or kicking or things of that nature and you have repetitive incidents, I can understand the punishment. But also, priors within two years I don't agree with. I think that yeah, and carryovers need... If I'm speeding down the road today and I get caught, I get the same fine in two or three years or, you know, two or three months because the the, the offence is the offence. You don't sort of get, you know, any more or less because you've done it before. I don't know whether that's right or wrong. I just think for a sport, maybe if it's deliberate, maybe if it's, you know, if, if you say that we're going to have three or maybe four grades, if it's, if it's a grade three or a grade four and it's similar, then you get loading maybe. But for your grade one and your grade twos, which are largely accidents or non-deliberate, oh, I, I really don't think we should have loading. I, I just hate seeing players not playing when they're fit and healthy. And carry over. I that they haven't done anything severe and taken another player out or done something really deliberate. And carryover points, I've said for ages, you should lose five every week. Should just not have them. Well, again, yeah. but if, if they want to have carryovers, it needs to be a way to make them disappear. You shouldn't have to wait a oh, whole yeah, year. Okay, so if you, if you land with 70 points or whatever. Every game after that, five points go off. So if you're doing the right thing and you don't get charged for eight to ten weeks, etc., you're going to be losing the majority of those points or ten po- whatever it is. I don't think it should be ten points a week. But there's got to be a way. And then again, like priors for two years, unless it's something that's major or a higher grade, there shouldn't be loading. Should Journey, should Journey have carryover points for a similar incident? Oh, well, you could have that, but it, that's the whole point again with loading. I don't know, right? I don't know man. Like it's, it's, a, it's a really... It's a deep, dark hole if you really want to go down it. But I think we both agree that there's, there's a better system. I think most of the people listening would think well, it needs, there's, a, there's a better way to do it. needs to be simplified, first of all, because, again, like for Radley to have all these other things factor into it for something he's never done before... And then have loading for repeat offences, and then twenty percent three times for non-similar offences plus the carryover. It's blown up into something fucking ridiculous. And Angus Crichton last week is probably the best example of all. 
it was an accident. Martin's the one who's backed into it. He, he had, had no intent to land on the crusher, but because he's had one before, the loading's essentially what's rubbed him out. Yeah. And I, I didn't think there was intent on that one at all. That one was more on the, you know, the attacker. And we've said this before, all the rules now and everything is geared towards the attack, not the defence. You get punished in all senses as a defender. But if I run and smash your face in as a, a ball carrier, which again, it's impossible to stop, I get all the advantages in the world. Like, at some point, a bit of common sense. I, I thought easily a couple of ex-players in a board last week could sit there, look at that one and go, there's no intent there. It's an accident. But he missed three weeks now. Because they go, well, you've done it before. It's like, we may have done it before, but this one's purely an accident. Yeah. So now we're going to fucking rub him out until finals? Like, it's, yeah, I don't know. But off the bandwagon, they're wrapping up that game. Um, yeah, just think there's better ways to use Manu like they've done prior weeks. I thought they found a lot way to balance out their spine, get him involved in Tedesco the other night. I get it. He's been leading from the front. He's been trying to be involved in everything, and he was he was great again, but I also thought he overplayed his hand a bit, and they needed to find a way to involve uh, Manu a bit more. And big rap also to Liu and Tokiaho. They've been missing key forwards. Those guys have been okay this year, and Toki's been injured, but they both had big games, big minutes, big metres. Um, and, yeah, controversial and heartbreaking for Brisbane. Uh, I thought they were very, very good, but, yeah, that, that, that ending was fucking insane. That's for sure. South Titans uh, probably doesn't need a lot. 36-6, this is one of those ones, again, where they finally got a test after putting some good form together and, and they failed. And for Souths, uh, I look at them and I think this is just another game where they, they did what they needed to do. It's not an 80-minute performance. They didn't go on with it. They weren't ruthless. But when the game mattered, they've done what they've done all season. They, when they turn it on and pull you apart, they can rack up points at will. They can just embarrass you with their attack. They can pull your edges apart. Their left-hand side with Cody Walker, he's just been having an absolute field day. The combination with Latrell, their forward pack's been getting better. Um, I, to me, this is just another example of they, they did what they had to do and then they pulled up the handbrake. They were pretty average for the second half and, you know, like I said, just basically got through the game. Yeah, agree. Uh, it just shows you the gap. The, the Gold Coast defence isn't good enough to stop really good attack. They, their set-ins were poor. They, they made too, far too many errors. And, yeah, South were never really tested. I think maybe for the first 15 minutes it went a little bit end-to-end, but... I, I never really felt like the Gold Coast were going to win the game or even threaten to to challenge South Sydney for any real long period of time. Um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a great game to watch. But even as a fan, it was just... It was one of those ones you just thought, OK, this, this is a bit of a mismatch. And you felt like South were playing with the pom-pom a little bit, the kitten playing with the pom-pom in that second half and... Yeah, the Gold Coast sort of knew that they weren't going to win, so it, it sort of fizzled out. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's a pretty true reflection of who both teams are. I think the Gold Coast aren't quite, you know, near that quality of South or in that, that you know that top tier of they'll they'll go you know close to um, playing in a grand final. If not, they'll 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 be in the grand final. They'll certainly be in a preliminary final. If you, you know, most people would think that. So. Whereas, you know, the, the Gold Coast sort of scrapped them just to make, make the eight, which will be an achievement for them. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we give a better account of ourselves on Thursday against Melbourne. Yeah, I think again with the troops they've got out, it's a great opportunity. But yeah, I think for Holbrook, the most disappointing thing is he said this is a real test and. Uh, it was all over essentially in the first half and edge defence and defence in general has been the big difference. There's been no question about attack and individual talent and some parts of their game that are impressive but if you ever want to be a finals team or you want to take that step forward you've got to be much more consistent in particular defensively in the decisions you made and Cody Walker again uh, I don't think he's got anywhere near as much credit as Tommy or Cleary or a lot of guys this season but he's been outstanding. Yeah he has been. Uh, but yeah I really think they're They've been ticking along. They haven't had a lot talked about them, um, but a, a lot of guys have improved, and it's very similar to a lot of years with Wayne Bennett or a lot last year. Just waiting for them to sort of explode at the back end when they play a big name. This weekend's a good yeah, opportunity. You know, I, you know, I said that after they got slapped twice by 50. Like I, I just feel as though they're, um, they're just going to cruise and... They know that they're going to probably be top four, and they are, and then now they're not really fighting for home field advantage, so they're just waiting for final footy, the rubber does. Yeah. Uh, moving on from that one, Tigers-Cowboys. Uh, th- there was a few games over the weekend that were low, and this was one of them. Uh, the Tigers, some good patches, but again, like the last few weeks, they can't maintain the rage. They should go on with some of these games. They blew the Warriors one. They, they didn't blow this one, and the Bulldogs one, obviously, they didn't either, but just... If they're really serious, you've got to go on with these wins. Like to get out to twenty-four to six, they played some pretty decent football early on. Brooks had his hand in a few nice shapes there. They've had that long side shift that they come up with, the nice no look kind of you know front to back look to Kelma to Alagi etc. Um, the finish though, like that, that stuff. If you're Michael Maguire, you wonder why he says fuck so much on Tiger Town, watching stuff like that. Um, it's just it kills you like. If you get that way in front and you want to be a top eight side or you want to progress, you've got to go on with it. You've got to be ruthless. But they let the Cowboys back in. And the Cowboys essentially ran out with the Jersey flag side mixed in with a couple of veterans. And I know the game was essentially done, but the fact that at the back end they even had a chance to score, had the sin bin with Brooks pulling that ball out on RC, the penalty goal off the putt, like it was crazy scenes. And I still didn't think they were in a chance to win it, but only the Tigers could put themselves in that situation. for me was the set ends just a kicking game Brooks put the ball dead a couple of times and the Cowboys just couldn't come up with a kick in some sets and you're right for old match that's why he swears so much there um, look the Tigers are slightly better than the Cowboys but they're they're not that much better really um, the Cowboys seem to me like they're just trying to sort of find their identity and they're giving a run to some young kids and they're certainly not not the strongest version of themselves, and they'll be they'll be better next year. But um, yeah, I think like you said earlier, the the Warriors' loss for the Tigers is going to be one that comes back to to really haunt them if they do miss the finals because they've got a pretty good run in. And this weekend's game is massive, but um, it just it was a really hard game to watch. I, I sat there and watched it, but um, yeah, it wasn't overly entertaining. No, I think the one positive, like you said, regardless of the result... We're in lockdown, you're not watching that one. Oh, 100%. I think the one upside, again, Cowboys, we've said it the whole way along, the losing streak, some injuries, they've had a big toll. 
Um, but now Peyton's doing essentially what I'm talking about with hooking a few of these other coaches need to do and just blooding everyone in their system. They've had a real good crop sitting there. He's given them all game time. We saw two more on the weekend, Nenai and Neem, a young back rower and a young front rower, get a run. They even combined for a try and a try assist on one of those plays. Arcee played a bit more. We've seen Lukey, Condon, Gilbert. Like, There's been so many guys into their system. He's obviously looking to their youth as a way, again, to balance out some mistakes they've probably made salary cap-wise. You're going to see probably a guy like McLean, or I thought had one of his better games in the weekend, probably moved on or take a significant pay cut. There's going to be some reshaping up there. Yeah. Um, and then the Tigers, similar deal. It's really frustrated me, and I mentioned it earlier in the year, that Kel Matualagi couldn't get a game because I was watching all the New South Wales cut when it was on. And when they were going like busted, he was dominating. Um, he's finally got to run the last few weeks. Small glimpses off the bench look good. And the other night's the first time they've sort of put him in the position he likes to play on that edge, off a bit of nice shape. And he, he, he ran a nice line there and scored a try. And I'm like, between him, Stefano, uh, you know, getting Simkin in a little bit more, playing Bloor, like that's the way forward also for the Tigers. Yeah. You need to get a good core group invested in what you're doing and the direction you're heading and get them to stay and do a similar thing again. Like the Mbai move today, moving on, is one of the last big deals along with Packer this year. Like they're running out of excuses. They need to start building with those younger guys, cut fat with anyone that's not going to buy in, get those guys to buy in with Maguire, buy into Maguire as a club and as a board, get Sheens on board, and really push with this junior pathway stuff like we talked about that they've been trying to work on the last few years. Again, they've got to understand why they why they lose games, and they they lose games because they can't attract quality. They have to pay overs for potential. They have to pay overs for players who are moved on from other clubs. They need to do two things. They need to ensure that the players that they bring in have got good character, and that they're going to bring a consistent uh, style of play and a consistent effort and attitude to the club. And they've also got to ensure that they're rolling in some juniors of their own which you know I think they will in the next two to three years you know there's a handful that we've had a little bit to do with um, that, are, that are really going to push through that are, that are quality but uh, they're still a little bit away so yeah. it's important what, what the Tigers do in the next 12 months I think will really determine what um, you know how much his tenure plays out in the, in the near future yeah, and I think Sheens in particular, again, will be critical because he's big on kids, and I think he'll recognise in particular with what we said, the fumbles the last few years with the very minimal few kids they do have, I think he will place more important on them than anything else at that club. Yeah. Which probably makes me feel a little bit better about the few good names they do have there pushing through because like he did with his 05 group, that was the core of what won for the Tigers. It wasn't buying externally. It was a core group they had internally pushed through, mixed in with a couple of veterans or guys that were there for the right reasons, and it came together. And it built a core group that consistently played finals football for a period of time. Yeah. So, uh, moving on from that one. Uh, oh, sorry, one more thing out of that game. Again, we talk about inconsistency over the weekend, about calls, penalties, what's a shoulder charge, what's not, what's a bin, what's not. The Brooks Sinbin at the end where he pulled the ball out from Arcee and then the one in the game against the Roosters where Mead comes in, third man, pulls the ball out and the ref says there's no intent to strip. Like, for fuck's sake. 
It's just yeah. that, that was another one over the weekend that made me angry afterwards where I'm like, can we honestly just be fucking somewhere on the same page in between games? Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. yeah. Madness, but I, I digress. I'll leave that one alone. Manly Eels doesn't need a whole lot of summary. 56 to 10. Two words, rock bottom. We've talked about it nausea in the last few weeks. I can go over it again and again, but uh, fuck, how many times can you say it? They're, they're going the wrong direction. I don't know how they can fix it. We know what they do well. We know what they do poorly. And I just, I don't see a fix this year. And we said it before this run started that they're about to go on a murderer's row. They're going to find out what they're made of. And it's burning and just crashing epically. That's four in a row. They're losing players along the way. They're looking worse and worse every week. First, it was Campbell Gillard hurting his groin. Now, Madison's going to be suspended for a period of time. They've rotated their back line. They've tried to do things to fix their edge defense. That's got worse. Their spine is not delivering. They've lost Marnie for the rest of the year. Um, the, the chat is getting louder. Now they're talking about bickering over hotel rooms, which I think, to be honest, journalism, sensationalizing things. like I, That's a crock of shit, but... The stuff about the board, the selection committee, potentially O'Neill and Arthur not getting along, that stuff's a lot more serious, but yeah, they, they were fucking dreadful. Yeah, they were awful. Mainly, but mainly were good. 100%. Um, Parramatta, they don't have a plan B. We've been unreal. Like what I said about Parramatta, still applies. They, they look stale, they look bored, they look. Unenthused, tired, lethargic, lacking energy, all those things. Yeah. Uh, again. And they look as though they don't trust the game plan, they don't trust the style, they don't believe in the style. Their key players, particularly their spine players, are not playing anywhere near where they need to be, neither are their middle forwards, and it's as simple as that. And I think, for, of all people, they're the ones who have done the hard yak for the most part of the year, but they're the ones that particularly have seen have hit a real flat spot um, and even off the back of the good that they were doing I think in big games they don't get enough out of their spine and it looks particular for them that it's almost got to a point where they're like well fuck even with us doing our job or doing what we've done to dominate the early part and get these results we don't get enough out of our like we said before key players and then their back line and then defensively on the edges they just got absolutely schooled the other night and I'll probably tell you a sadder thing for me and We've given him given a fair bit of criticism in the past about his errors, rocks and diamonds, defense, attitude, just a lot of things. I actually thought the last few weeks, and it's scary for me to say this, that Wanga Blake's actually been one of their better players. Yeah, that is scary. In particular, last week, not so much this week, because uh, anyone could look at the stat line and go, "He missed four tackles." I know that, uh, but the other edge, Opacek missed eight, Moses missed six. They got carved up on their edges. But it's more the intent. Like, and even last week, he had 200 metres, lots of carries. I'm like, fucking hell, if he's one of the guys that's trying the hardest for standing out. Yeah, he's trying. That, that's, that's, you know. Um, yeah, uh, we've, we've already talked about it. If you're a first-time listener, you're probably saying, fuck, well, explain it to us. But we've gone at nausea in the last few weeks and over the, over the, over the time about recruitment, retention, squad, culture, club, situation. Like we've, we've gone through a lot of it. But uh, more importantly, they have to win this week. They're playing the Cowboys. They have to win this game. They have to find some sort of joy and energy in their rugby league because after that, they finish again with Storm and Panthers. Yeah. Um, this could be... It wouldn't shock me if they got beat this weekend. It wouldn't shock me either. It really wouldn't. But if they burn out losing all these games or at least win this one and then go, 
loss, loss, week one, just low on confidence and get rolled by somebody. Um, we talked about the other week, fair or unfair on Arthur, and I think he's done a hell of a job considering the hurdles that have been thrown at him and going through that rough period, but it's just the drums are beating louder and louder. But the talk this week about potentially Fitler or a Serraldo or somebody else, like if they think that's going to fix the problem, they're fucking kidding themselves. Like they, they need to sort out again, not just roster and club and, and in the group, but like if there's problems with your football manager and your coach, you've, you've got to sort that out. Yeah, definitely. If, if all those guys are pulling in different directions and you wonder why you're getting bad results, well, you fucking just answered your own question. If you think bringing in a rookie coach who has no say with a football GM and a selection committee that half of them don't know they all go from their arsehole in terms of football is going to get you going in the right direction, you're also kidding yourself. The only reason you move on from Brad Arthur is you are sold, you are getting a better coach. And we've talked about it before, rightly or wrongly, the only person who's available on the market, ready to go right now, who I would consider, because they're not going to be getting Wayne Bennett, is Flanagan. And that's a controversial pick, and I don't think he's going to be able to fix it in 12 months, but he's a proven club builder in a much worse situation with less funding, less juniors than the job he did over there, but comes with some baggage and some controversy. So if you're willing to go that route... Yeah, he's been a para before, though. He was a para a long time ago, early yeah. 2000s. So. But I, other, other than that... history there. <clears throat> yeah. If, if you go that route, that's the yeah, only... I also feel as though if wherever funding goes, you're going to get his son. I agree with you. But I, I also think the style of Flanagan and what we've seen in the past and recruitment and older, harder heads and the way he likes to play his football, that there'd definitely be a transition period. I don't see him being a fan of a Gutherson or a Mitch Moses. There's a couple of guys there I look at straight away and go, they'd be gone. Yeah. Like, they're not to the way or the style of football he plays. Like I, I don't even think the Gutherson thing would be a discussion. I think he definitely wouldn't get re-signed. The Moses deal has only just got done, but I think he wouldn't be a fan of that deal either. I, 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 if you're going to head that direction, it's not going to be, well, we're, we're competing for a premiership or we're trying to right the wrongs in a short turnaround, I think you'd probably look at, you'd be looking at a 12 to 18 month transition period. Yeah, there you go. So they've got a hell of a decision on their, on their hands depending how the rest of the year plays out. For Manly, like, you couldn't give them any more praise. They were outstanding. Uh, Tapau was absolutely epic through the middle. Their pack as a whole and the job they've done, their edges, like we said, off the back of the way they rolled and just pulled Parramatta apart. It didn't matter what they did. They wanted to jam in. They played a little bit deeper. Some of the pass selections, some of the passes they come up with, the quick hands, the execution of catch pass, highlight of the night for me, the Cherry Evans pass. He got pressured from the inside, kind of did like a little C shape and then threw like a rainbow that curled back to Jason Saab. It was an absolute pearl. Um, And then at the back end of the game, Madison's hit again, one of those ones where I don't think it was intentional, but it was just lazy shit technique it got the punishment it deserves but that put him in a dire situation and then the sin bin after that to put him down to 11 um, yeah it was just it was all bad and I think probably the only thing I will say and again there's been a lot of credit to Turbo for the way he's played this year which he has been he's been absolutely outstanding but I was probably more impressed when he told them all to knock it off when they were carrying on scoring tries with 11 on the field it was, yeah, I agree. It, I thought that was great. Yeah, it was essentially and like... Again, like you, in round 21 or whatever it was, yeah. round 22, means nothing. They've I, got bigger fish that they 
yeah. clearly feel as though they can achieve. So. And they should be. Yeah, I thought it was, it was good sportsmanship, but it was also, you know, really professional just to say, look, guys, look, cut me out. Yeah, we've done the job. There's 11 on the field. Let's not act like we fucking won the grand final. So, but good signs all around from them, like we said. They fired some shots at Melbourne. They need to clean some stuff up, but Cherry Evans' form post-origin, outstanding. Foreign, like we said, healthy and playing really good footy. Both their edges, their wingers, the bench, Croker's development as a nine. They've ticked a lot of boxes, but again, we'll see come finals football where they're really at once it uh, gets down to the nitty-gritty. They fired that shot at Melbourne. A lot of people... They've put him up on that pedestal now. A lot of people have got him on the radar. Des won't have it the way he likes. So I think finals time we'll find out how real Manly is. Yep. Uh, Warriors, Dogs. Again, doesn't need a lot of explanation. I thought this was a pretty average game, but... Yeah, it was. Their slim chances are still alive. And probably one thing, and someone posted this yesterday, Trent Barrett, for me, has to be one of the worst press conferences. He's always got a fucking excuse. Always. And... Just, I said this about Ricky a few years ago and he's got better but you want to build accountability within your group and get things going the right direction and not give an out or not give an excuse or poor us all the time I just think he, he needs to stop um, if he didn't think that made contact with the head I think he's blind how it wasn't just penalised in general for a shoulder charge like they said it was a late hit or he hit it like he's dropped the ball Katoa doesn't need to hit him he didn't make any effort to wrap the arm, and I thought he hit him in the head. It was just fucking stupid, plain and simple. Did he hurt him? Yeah, no. I, what was it, the worst I thing? Sort of, I disagree a little. I, I didn't think I should have been back for that. Well, I just thought it was fucking dumb. Yeah, I agree it was dumb. Because you, you, you don't, don't put yourself... It, it didn't have any impact on the play. No, it didn't, but he just did, he don't, he doesn't need to put him... That They, they are where they are for a reason. I get no, their building. I, I agree with that. I'm not arguing that. But that play I was just... I don't think that, yeah. that should have stopped the try, in my opinion. No, nah, but, but I just think it's it's not a, not even talked about if he doesn't stupidly hit him without the ball after no, 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 yeah. with a tucked-in arm. And it, Again, if it was just a normal double-wrapped arm and he tackled him or bumped him, we're not talking about it. But he smokes him in the head with a shoulder charge, stands over him, and him and Ryan James are yelling and looking at each other. Like you've, you've brought attention to yourselves and that's the reason it got brought back and again I'd rather the officials not take it away from him because Cozy just dropped it cold yeah but I'm like not my issue I, like the other stuff I agree that it wasn't needed but <clears throat> yeah but, that, but again I just think we're looking for ways to disallow tries but now it was a big turning point I, I won't I, that side I'm fine with but I just it's been a consistent theme for me, and I said it in the past when he was at Manly. He, to me, he's a bad press conference. He needs to get out of that no, habit. I don't, I don't watch the press conferences, man. No, it's not only that. I, I mean, he gives a line no, every... Unless, unless they're the ones that are on telly post, like post-game on a Friday or whatever. I don't... I used to go and watch all of them, but now I don't, probably for that reason, that a lot of it is just... It's hard to watch. Yeah, I think, again, he... Just stop making excuses for his players... I get what they're going through, um, but yeah, I think when you're trying to build something as well, that's that's not the way to do it. Yeah, fair comment. But yeah, uh, Warriors, good result. Again, lots of plays in and out. Ugly eyes game, um, but they had a real focus. They wanted to get it beyond Iodo. They did that. Curran had an absolute field day. He's had a really, really good month to six weeks. Played some good footy. The Aitken moved to the back row to cover with all the injuries they've had. He's been good. 
O'Sullivan had one of his better games. Um, Walsh and Tavita Harris starting to form a nice combination, which probably is a good look into the future. And for the Bulldogs, full credit as always, just for effort and intent. But it's just the, those little moments. And again, a lack of points, a lack of consistency in that department and their attack. And they're, they're rotating through. And I think there was a fair point made by a few people over the weekend. I know they had injuries and suspension, but you borrow two lone players who are both very good for you, but they only said a couple of weeks ago they want to make their way through the whole squad and see what they've got. So uh, with what they had available, wouldn't you have been better off playing a couple of guys? And like You're getting the wooden spoon. Nothing's changing there. So was there really a point loaning players in? Uh, yeah, what? Yeah. Uh, on the, yeah, it's a tough one. I, I tend to think, yeah, you loan your players in. Like, you want to put your strong side out there every week. But uh, I think they know what they've got. And I think they know that they've got some holes. And I think they, they know they've got some contracts they need to use. Mm. Oh, my God, yeah. I just thought yeah, that's no, fine. I don't know, I... I think the mentality's probably changed a little bit with Gus <clears throat> walking in the door as well. Like he, I'm not sure he would have been real happy with just folding things up and being happy losing. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't know that for sure. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's just it's just a hard it's a hard one. You, you don't really. I know they're short. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just like, well, your season's gone use some of these younger guys, use anyone you've got in a fringe, push in like a Horsberg, like you've got to Pine who you've had a look at a few times, he's come to your system, he's played junior Kiwis, like you're not going to give him another run? You've had Dory like in and out and different starts, you've given Patolo all the way from Flegel all that to playing first grade, anyone who's in that bubble, who's self-containing your bubble, under contract, under a development deal, under any sort of contract at the moment, I'd just be playing because they've still got a lot of gaps to fill for next year. They've got a lot of guys that made decisions on, like you said, they probably have an idea on. But I, I, I just don't understand why you wouldn't just look to what you've got to really nut out and put a few guys in the frying pan and see what you've got just to really tighten up things for next year. Yeah. So, man, I don't know. But for the Warriors, their very slim hopes are alive. Um, they'll get a couple of players back this week and we'll, we'll see how they go. But, yeah, Broncos... It's a big game. It's, it's a winnable game, but it'll be a tough one. And to finish this off, this was a game that I had high hopes for, but it was pretty disappointing in the end. Newcastle, Cronulla come down to some penalty goals in the second half. Plenty of feeling, but it was ugly. It was an error fest. Constant bickering and fighting and pushing. Newcastle score in the first minute and then just decide that they want to play side to side, just like they did the week before. I don't know what's changed since the Raiders game where they gave their best blueprint, which is the Safidi twins playing direct with Braley, got good edge back rows. Like they, they, they met Canberra's middle and then some beat them up, bashed them on play one, two, played through the middle of them, then earned the right to shift the football. The weekend, they just wanted to shift constantly and wondered why they couldn't find a way to score off no momentum. It was clunky. It was ugly. I thought Crowler honestly might've been the better of the two and, the penalty at the end was pretty harsh, I thought, because there's yeah, such I agree. a. I thought the harsher one was where they got wheeled. They wheeled the Knights back and into the end goal, and they got penalised. That led to that penalty. So. Well, that that that's another one. Like fuck, sometimes you see a guy get wheelbarrowed fucking ten uh, metres. That that one is is classic. Like that, wherever it's near a perimeter, a sideline or a, a try, an in goal line or 
the referee's called held as soon as they look as though they're going to go up the sideline or into, oh. into uh, in goal. Like, oh, I've... I really struggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I felt the opposite this year. Like I've seen a couple where I'm like, that guy's held, and he gets thrown over the sideline. Okay. And this year it seemed to have been the opposite. And then that one, to your point, I was like, well, fuck. Now they've called one the opposite way. Mm. It's sort of been a trend where it used to be instantly, like you said, when you're in danger, we'll stop it. But I, I've seen plenty this year where someone's been three or four in, their momentum stopped, then all of a sudden they've been dragged five, six meters sideways and over the sideline. So for them to call that, I'm like, well, they haven't lifted him. They've dominated him. He's trying to lose his legs and he's been thrown in the end goal. So I've got no problem with it. Yeah, okay. But I, I thought they were hard done by. I thought that was fine. Yeah, the, yeah like you said, it led to that penalty. They lose. But I, I probably thought the Shark was better. Yeah. The better side. But like you said, it was, it was a tough game to watch. Well, again, if one of those gets into seventh or eighth and somehow wins week two, if they're playing South Panthers... Melbourne or Manly, if they lose, they're getting fucking smashed. Yeah, pretty much. If that's the sort of football they're going to play. Yeah. Um, I think the bigger thing and probably the point to make out of this is thoughts and prayers with uh, Andrew Fafita and his family right now. That was an awful, awful thing to see. Um, yeah. They've looked at a few incidents to try and figure out where it happened. Uh, they've got some a bit of an idea, but yeah, shot in the larynx, I think it was, which is fractured and the swelling and... He was struggling to breathe, and then before you knew it, he had a couple of medicos on him, and then today he's been placed in an induced coma, which is uh, just crazy how quickly things escalated. But, uh, yeah, thoughts and prayers with him and his family, and hopefully everything works out all right. I worked with his brother at Latu, actually, so... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it was, just wasn't a nice thing to see. No, definitely not. And um, you could see how, like, panicked he was, so... I think... Uh, it's ordinary. From memory, that's what happened to Tommy Eisenhuth at Melbourne the other year. Yeah, I he, think Eisenhuth, there was another bloke at Cronulla that had one. But he, uh, his was... Another player as well. His was that... Uh, Rory, Rory Koshjackson as well, I think. Yeah, but poor, poor Tommy waited seven years or whatever it was to play another game. So he'd had all that time where he was in and out of top squad, cut all the yeah, way back down. Round, it was round one as well, wasn't it? It was his first game for Melbourne. He played about five minutes, got hit in the throat and come off and they, they were like, you know, you're good and couldn't really speak properly and they were like, all right, we'll get him checked out and I think he passed out five minutes later wow. and suddenly he was rushed to hospital and he, he barely played again, I think, for another 16 weeks or something like that. But like for all that time and waiting for such an incident to happen and then, yeah, when they said that on the weekend, that was the first thing that popped in my head that similar deal I remember the story that Tom came off and they were like okay we'll check him out and then it just escalated so quickly so um, Andrew's ended up in a similar situation probably obviously even more so with the induced coma and that which is awful but it, it's crazy it's, it's not something you'd think when you go out to play a game of football yeah it's terrifying mm. it's, uh, that wraps us up for the reviews of the games from the weekend let's try and fly through some of these we've got an absolute <laughs> stack which is no surprise. If we get some double-ups, we'll try and skip over. So if you don't hear your name or you've got a similar type of question, understand that it's probably already been answered. But David White, one of our regulars, says, why the hell do the Dragons keep picking Norman and why wasn't it a shoulder charge from Cleary when Ravalawa has had a couple of incidents? Well, we've essentially addressed both of those, mate. I, I think, again, the word consistency, not trying to compare everything, but is it about the shoulder charge? Is it about the force? 
we, we just need to see a consistent core and we've gone over Norman and the Dragon situation a million times at this point in time and Brock would agree just throw the kids in yeah yeah uh, Fox Box Ox says where do we see the Sharks next year with that new roster I think they'll improve, but they'll be similar sort of spot, I think, around the eight. Probably from seventh to tenth, somewhere somewhere there. Yeah, I, I think they'll have a lot more leadership, obviously, with McInnes, Finucane. Uh, I've got questions on the half situation, just purely because they're bringing Hines in to play six, which he played in his juniors, not one. Playing one at Melbourne is very different to playing six for Cronulla. I'm not saying he's yeah. not a good not a good footballer, but he's not going to have the same sort of platform and freedom that he's had playing behind the halves and forward pack he has at Melbourne. So I'm intrigued to see uh, how he goes there and who the, who the halves pair is. Like they're saying, they're going to stick with Moylan in a one year deal. Essentially, there you've got two sixes who are more ball runners than ball players or controlling yeah. kickers. So do they lean towards Trindle? Is Tracy now pushed out to the centres or is he utility? Like there's just a few spots there. I don't know how they're quite going to use the players, but Finucane and McInnes, um, I'm assuming that Finucane's going to play more as a front row style player now with the way the rules are going. 10 and 13 aren't much different to a, let McInnes play 13 with Braley being the 9. Um, so with those two in their middle, they'll definitely should defend better, which is probably their biggest issue. And with Fitzgibbon as a coach, you'd expect that defence will be the priority because that's his job. But yeah. I'm with you. They're, they're not a... Certainly not. Seventh, I think them in Newcastle. Yeah, Gold Coast, Tigers, the Warriors—they'll all sort of be in that spot. Like, who's really going to tumble out of the the top five or six? Maybe South, like Reynolds goes, Bennett goes. They may slide if Parramatta sack Arthur. Yeah. You know, maybe they slide a little. But otherwise, I think you sort of your your Melbourne, Penrith, Roosters. I think. You, they're going to be right up there for, for many years to come, you think. Yeah, I, I don't see Cronulla improving a whole lot. I think they'll be in a similar spot if they get 7th or 8th and then make more moves. That would make more sense to me. But I, yeah. I'm more intrigued to see what he can do. Like, he's got those few guys, but defensively, I've said it for weeks, they're the worst defensive team in the competition in all areas. So I'll be more interested to see how he tightens that up, in particular technique, intent, like, they, they miss more tackles. They're more ineffective on tackles than any other team in the competition. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, B.E. Ashford, what do you think has gone wrong at the Cowboys? Well, I think a combination of things. Number one, they've had the second worst injury toll in the competition, which has given them no consistency. I think you're going through a bit of a restructure where Peyton's taken over, and we talked about the time after a period where they were probably too loyal to a lot of guys from the grand final. They've still got a few guys there from the grand final. Um, the rule changes have certainly made the deal for Tamalolo a lot less valuable at the time of the rules when they made the deal. It looked like a good deal. Now it's not looking as such, and I don't think it's a 12-month fix. He is essentially working his way through the squad. They're moving some guys on. They've blooded a lot of kids. I, I think, again, I, I wouldn't really be able to judge the Cowboys for another 12 months. Yeah, not a lot's gone right for him. Even go back to like, you had to isolate for two weeks. And, you know, the, the how he started with Tal Malolo, and then he obviously broke his hand, or broke his finger twice, or broke his heel twice. Three times now. Three times, yeah. Holmes is. Right. You yeah. know, you had Holmes hasn't worked, Morgan retired. Yeah, it's 
just been one of those years, I think, for the Cowboys. Yeah, and I think again. Hard to judge him when you don't have your best players on the field. No, and he's reshaping, like we said. Like this isn't his team. But yeah, I think next year is you know if they're in a similar spot, he's going to be under some pressure. Yeah, and pending the moves that are made because he's essentially making his first small moves now. But he'll get he'll get some cap movement. He's blooded some kids. They'll probably offload McLean O'Neill and a bunch of guys and start to get to make some moves. But if there's zero progress at all and infighting and tension and whatnot, you'd think he'd definitely be under pressure. Yeah. Uh, Son of Glory says, I know that Jason Demetrio coached the Northern Pride to success. Would like to know what he's like as a coach and have you had much to do with him or heard about him around the traps? He not only won at the Pride, he won with the Illawarra Steelers. He was an assistant coach for the Cowboys and their attacking coach when they won the grand final. Um, I know a couple of guys that have played under him and I commentated the whole year for that Illawarra side and I've said it a few times on here. They were the fifth or sixth best side in terms of talent on the field, but they were the best coach side and they played really, really good attacking football. And If you want the best sample of his coaching, you're watching it right now. The, the attack and what they do at South Sydney is not Wayne Bennett. That is Jason Demetrio's fingerprints already all over their attack. Yeah. I've, um, I know Latu, like I spoke about Latu, he's, he was coach by him um, and loved him. And all I hear are good things about Demetrio. I've been to a couple of um, coaching conferences where he's presented. He seems very articulate, uh, but also as though he's, you know, a good leader, would be able to hold a group. And I've just been super impressed with everything that he's done as a coach. So uh, I, I think it's a really good move. And, like, he's done, when I talk about an apprenticeship, like, he's done more than an apprenticeship. He's in a really good spot right. to, to be successful. He's ready to go. He's more. He's been more than ready for a long time. Yeah. You know, and just to, to be with Wayne Bennett for the amount of time he has... It's only going to put him in really good position. Well, I think Wayne Bennett would have taught him a lot of the other stuff that he didn't yeah. know about because, like I said, let's be honest right now, he that's his coach of the team. Wayne puts smart people around him to do those jobs and he's the man manager, the icing on the cake, the morale, the personable side. He, he stayed relevant and he's been a good coach for a long period of time by putting the right people around him. Yeah. And Demetrio right now, like we said, is in particular in attack an outstanding coach and everything you're seeing right now has got his fingerprints all over it so we'll see how they go next year James Hughes says after two wins from 21 games this year what gives you optimism that Trent Barrett will perform next season with more weapons than when he came from 15th at Manly with both the Draboyevichs and DC E well next year I guess I still don't think there's enough in their roster it's it's more than a 12 month job to turn around I think the real proof in the pudding. Knows that though. Like he, he's pretty keen to prove the doubt is wrong. Hmm. Well, I, I said it. feels though he's assembled a good roster. I still think they're a nine and a seven. You know, away. Like they've really got to nail down those positions. But oh, I, I think they're further than that. I think they're still a couple of forwards away. I think with Vaughan Thompson, Pungai, Jackson, you've probably got a decent starting pack. But I reckon they're going to have no depth, and if they get any injuries, they're still going to be in a big trouble. Um, the back line's pretty good but again Burton going there and what people are saying they're saying at Penrith right now I don't think he's going to replicate that the Bulldogs he's not playing for the Panthers anymore 
they need to make a decision on Flanagan. Again, they don't have a nine. And who's the fullback? Dufty's there for a year. Fox, there's talk they've promised him that job. You know, like they paid Alan half a million dollars. Yeah, I think if things go pear-shaped next year and they've spent a bit of that money, that the pressure will be on. Um, but I don't know. I don't, have a, I don't have a hell of a lot of confidence, not so much for him as a coach, but just the, the wraps around it when he went there. Part of it, I said that saying, "Oh, he's the attack coach. He's turned Penrith right." We gave no, no, praise to Ivan for the moves he made twelve months prior to move some players on, to blood some guys, and reshape things, which then turned him into what they were last year. All the praise was given to Barrett. Yet they've ticked along as good, if not better, this year with a guy in Andrew Webster who was at the Tigers as a defensive coach and is not known as an attacking coach. They gave all that praise to Trent. Um, I, I, not saying he's not a good coach but I also think for your second job when you have a job finished the way it did at Manly this is not the job I would have taken I think he in the end if anything goes wrong it'll be a lack of time and he might have bitten off more than he can chew I think Gus is going to be huge for him oh huge as long as he gives him I reckon he's going to need more than next year I think he'll get more than next year yeah that's the thing if he gets at least until 23 then I think you can really judge him you know, I think he's done a pretty good job attracting players as he is. And, you know, with Gus there now, he's going to have even more pull. So uh, they're certainly going in the right direction. Mm. Dom Sullivan says, what's your favourite moment been this year? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I'll go first, if you're thinking, and that's Melbourne's winning streak so far. I thought they'd be competitive again. I thought they'd be around the top four, if not just outside of it, because they started with some injuries... Um, knew that Origin was going to come thought that it might disrupt things but never did in my wildest dreams I think they would put together a streak like this yeah it's not that I don't have one I just the Titans haven't played great footy up. I think probably the fact that we've been able to keep the competition alive I'm most grateful for yeah because we've had you know the NRL's had a lot of adversity that they've had to overcome so that's probably the favourite my favourite part of it is that it's still going and that we've got great leadership um, if, if I had to pick a you know a specific game or a specific moment I think uh, the first two Origin games were pretty good as a you know as a Blues man so game three wasn't great but nah. to win the series again to be so dominant in those first two games was yeah it's probably my favourite favourite moment of the year yep as a New South Wales fan long suffering uh, can't say I disagree with you it's been good to see us win three of the last four yeah it's been great Kev says he enjoys the podcast thanks champion and what's our thoughts on the importance of a utility player and should it be recognised at the Dallium Awards and he'd like to see more international games during the year but when's the best time well to me, you can't interrupt the season. Um, I think Origin's already got enough of an effect and the standalone thing poses a lot of questions. But international football for me is still at the end of the season. I thought they brought in a utility award. Didn't Jazz Tavunga win that and somebody yeah, else? I think, I think they did. Yeah, I think, Super Sub or Best yeah. Match Player or something along those lines. And, and it isn't important. It certainly is. A lot of guys need somebody on their bench. Like If you've got a really good spine, it's probably... Not as critical because if you're covered in those positions and then you've got, say, a back row who can play centre and vice versa, a couple of guys that maybe have a little bit of a string to their bow, but for most teams, uh, you only need to look at 
say, in Melbourne right now. They use Brandon Smith as nine cover, covers a forward pack. They've had Hines when Smith is uh, not there, who can play fullback, centre, wing, halves. Connor Watson, who's just been re-signed by the Roosters, proving that same sort of point. Lock, halves, fullback, hooker. Uh, Origin the last few years, they've sort of had somebody there that can play that sort of role. Like it, It's definitely not a bad thing. And some, some utilities, unfortunately, never get to probably have quite the career they'd like, but uh, they're certainly important. Yeah, they're massively important. A good utility just gives you... It gives you the ability to pick three, essentially three middle forwards on your bench. Uh, whereas, you know, if you don't sort of have someone like that, you've always really, you've got to carry someone who, you know, can play multiple positions who may not be the actual best player, might not be in your best 17, but yeah. their versatility probably gets them into the team, if that makes sense. So... Uh, a, a good utility that's just really happy to play as a 14 and do a really solid job for the team there is invaluable. Yeah. Absolutely invaluable. More for, for not only the impact that it has when they come on the field, but the stability and the ability for you to pick your bench with so much more confidence as well. Mm. And again, like you said, if you've got even like a nine that you don't trust and you got to carry two nines and then you get an injury and you don't have cover yeah, for... but it's also like you might have a nine that sort of has a tendency to gas out a little. Yeah, but even like for halves, you know, if you lose a half and you've got two nines that are just predominantly nines, one guy's a dish and, dish and defend guy and the other guy's an impact run and gun but not a great defender and you lose a half, like you, you really limit yourself. If you've got a Connor Watson or you've got one of these guys that has the ability to play multiple positions that really, like you said, just saves you from having to worry about maybe potentially having to carry one or two different guys on the bench for multiple different purposes. You can just have one sort of Swiss army knife that can cater for a lot of situations and allow you to pick three other guys, whether they be two middles or an edge middle sort of combo player or, you know, just a lot more freedom with what you do with your bench. Yeah, I agree. Tan says, is South Queensland really the next franchise? And if so, when and what would it take and the halves drought for the NF, NRL, sorry, it seems to get worse each year. Are the problems at grass roots level? And how can you judge a coach fairly in their tenure? Well, again, how long's a piece of string? You've got Barrett at the moment rebuilding a team. You've got Arthur, who's been in a club long term, and you've probably got a better picture now of where you're at. But, you know, top four finishes consistently, and, you know, the roster, like, you're sitting there now saying you can't go any further. Like, I, I don't think it's cut and dry on the coaching thing in terms of how you judge them. Like, it, it all depends on situation, roster, um, where they're at, what they've done previously, track record. Like, when, when they've got a side that they've sort of assembled, had their fingerprints over and been there for three or four years, or if they're just going terrible within 12 to 18 months and things are falling apart, like, I, I think... Different shapes and sizes is how you judge a coaching situation. I don't think they're all the same. I think you'd probably agree with that. Yeah, what was the other part of the question? Uh, the other one was South East Queensland, next uh, Yeah, I'll be interested to see what impact COVID has on expansion, like whether they're going to now push it back because obviously the game's bleeding money at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's going to be pushed back. That's This period's and costing... 
the, the biggest issue with Haas is not grassroots, I, I don't believe. I, well, actually, I, it is grassroots. It, if they're coach to play structure as a junior, that's a huge issue because structure is now gone out of the game. And I said this five or six years ago on the show for our long-term listeners that the game's going to change and we're, we're coaching our juniors for the structured style of the game that when it shifts, we're going to really struggle to have halves that can play out of structure. And we're seeing a lot of that at the moment. Now, the, the biggest thing you can do to a player prior to 16 is to just let them play. Teach them, you know, I think their catch, pass, kick, tackle are the, the most important things that they really need to work on because they're, you're always going to need them. They're your fundamental cornerstones of the game. So I think you've got to identify what are the skills that they're going to need irrespective of the style of play or the way that the game moves. And then when they get into a system at, you know, 16, from 16 to sort of 20, it's about them teaching them how to be a professional and a lot of that is more about training ethic and nutrition and attitude and work ethic and all all that sort of stuff right and then once they sort of hit that reserve grade NRL it's about persistence it's about keeping these halves for probably a year longer than what you think you should because they need time to develop in the NRL and, and in reserve grade and Reserve grade footy is invaluable for, for halfbacks. And far too often we just we bring them in, we want everything from them in a short space of time. Like Dylan Brown's a good example of that at the moment. Where he's you know, he's copping a lot of criticism, but it's his second full year in grade. He he, he never did an apprenticeship in reserve grade. He he doesn't have a lot of experience playing against men. Like it's it's not just something that you just pick up and and run with, like to play in the NRL. So, you know, I, I really think we need to look at as a game, just, we, we really need to stick in it, coach the hell out of our halves at a reserve grade and an NRL level and give them more time and more opportunities. Uh, you, look, you look at someone like Ash Taylor, like a, I don't begrudge him getting a million dollars, but he never deserved a million dollars and he's not playing like a million dollar player now and he's been in first grade for you know it must be now almost six years but but I, I do think there are some things there like I do think he's improved under Holbrook's coaching and you just think well what if he had have had you know a coach like that for the first two or three years of his time in first grade where he would be right now you know you look at Nathan Cleary how, how patient Penrith were with him um, the fact that Brad Fittler picked him in origin and persisted with him. You know, like, we need to persist with our hearts. You, they're a dime, a dime a dozen, like it, and it's difficult. Like, it's, it's not easy to coach hard. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's not easy, particularly if you're not a strong team. You don't have a strong forward pack. You don't have a good hooker. Like, it's easier to blame your halfback, but 
I find it it's probably the most enjoyable part of my, my job as a coach. I, I love coaching halves and I love coaching hookers. And I, yeah, I, I just have a real passion for how quickly we move halves on. That, that's just a real bugbear that I've got. You see so many junior halves just go down the drain when they get flushed or they get they get coaches essentially at Matson Ball that think they're NRL coaches and they coach creativity out of them or they they want them to play so much in structure that it just ruins a lot of kids. Um, yeah, I think this, we could do a lot better with our coaching of halves. I think from at every level. Yeah, I, the one point I'll make to finish that off, and the biggest one is probably the last point: throwing them away too quickly. Hutchison, we talked about at the Roosters right now, showing some good signs. I know it's in a better environment, a better team, but you're an Australian schoolboy for a reason. I'm not saying that's the be all and end all, but the Dragons threw him away in less than 12 months. Adam Kieran never got a shot at the Bulldogs after being an Aussie schoolboy. Went to Panthers, played Cup a year later, was one of the best halves in the competition. No opportunity there purely because the club was already loaded. Goes to the Warriors, gets flicked again, and now Trent Robinson's got him. But there's a theme here where some of these guys probably could have had better career paths or better transitions if more time and care was taken. Because a lot of the time, it's it's the situation. It's the coaching. It's the club. It's the players around them and the time given. Like You can't just go, all right, you're an Australian schoolboy. You're the best half in your age group. You're at our club. Fix everything. It doesn't work that way. And it's it's the same example again next year when I keep talking about Matt Burton and the Bulldogs. Like they're already talking like he's going to be the saviour. He's going to fix everything. He's got the talent, but it's it's going to take more than Matt Burton to fix that problem. Definitely. He needs a forward pack, a nine, and when, when those pieces are around you, you, you can do a lot individually, but you also need other pieces to get the absolute best out of somebody. And halves are. One of the best examples. There's a lot that needs to happen for halves to do their job. Uh, Scott Jenkins, similar deal as before. Sharks dogs with their signings. Both teams have got the engine room to fire up for their back lines. And as a dog supporter is worried, defensively they don't stand up. Well, we've addressed the Sharks. We've talked about the Bulldogs a little bit. I think, again, if they get injuries, depth is the bigger issue. I think their starting pack will be competitive and and do a pretty good job, but uh, what they get off their bench and what they have depth-wise if they get injuries will be a bit of a worry. But you can't be any worse than what they were this year. It's going to be their second spoon in a row. They've only won two games. You, you can't get much worse than where they are right now. No, didn't the Broncos win the spoon last year? Uh, I think, yeah, sorry. What was the Broncos last year, their first ever spoon? So they've gone... Uh, yeah, I, their depth will be better. Like I'm, I'm at the coalface of their depth. Their depth will definitely be better. Mm. So, um, so I'll, I'll just, yeah, I'll say that. Mm. We'll see how they hold up for their back line. Prebs. Injuries this year as well, so. Yeah, Prebs has brought up similar deal. Do you think they should be considering expansion at the moment? And if not, would you like to see a move towards deeper squads to account for changes in the game or perhaps stronger and more publicised second tier? I think that was probably going to be my next point. I think where the game's gone right now in terms of two years of lost development, um, loss of money, loss of revenue, I don't really know if we could float the extra club or team and the money that's going to be involved unless it's a private bidder. And a lot of the clubs are going to be crying poor that they need more help out of the situation. The game's already lost money, but you're also going to lose probably a generation of talent or some, even some of the older guys or some of the more developed guys because two years in a row they've been essentially pushed away from something that is not their full-time job or what they're taking a, a chance at and that there might be another bit of a gap there just in development so 
if there's a way to get a deeper squad or do something for the second tier, and I know there's talk about summer leagues and other things to try and get things back on track, but I definitely think there's going to be a bit of a lag in some case for some guys and a bit of a gap there, in particular for cup guys that are 22, 23, who might be discouraged after two years of, of being stopped and not being full-time football players. The summer league is certainly picking up some traction. I'll say that, but um, I think the bigger concern with the summer league is, <clears throat> firstly, when does this lockdown end? Secondly, what does the New South Wales Cup look like next year if the summer league does go ahead? Does it still kick off the same weekend as the NRL? How does the pre-season look? Oh, that's the big There's one for me. There's a whole heap of things that need to be taken into account there. Um, but in terms of... I don't, I don't think this year's a lost year of development because, you know, they, they played footy up until the end of June, realistically. So, you know, it's, they've lost a couple of months and they've lost, you know, the end of the season. But it's, it's been nothing like last year, I don't believe. No, but I'm more piggybacking... Pre-season in. I'm more piggybacking on last year though like they didn't get a crack at all and this yeah. year you're sort of working out some of that ring rust and it's been stopped again like it, it's, it's going to have some effect oh it's yeah it's, it's not it's not ideal but it's also not it's not the end of the world um, yeah it'll just be have to, have to be something that's taken into account I think the, the biggest issue is the gap that it's going to breed between you know, those NRL guys who are playing for you, training consistently, to the guys that are right on the cusp of the NRL, it's, it's going to make that gap bigger. Mm. Yeah. Henry Twydale says that he's sceptical of the Dragons picking up Bird, McCulloch, Maguire and Byer on those discounted deals, given all except Bird are towards the end of their career. And again, similar to what we talked about before and some of the moves they've made, why shrewd, why salary cap safe and why probably, you know counteracting some of the bad deals that are still there or have been moved on, uh, it kind of beggars the question, are they just trying to stay somewhat competitive and be fringe eight, or is that going to hinder, I guess, long-term some of those younger guys? That's a bit of food for thought, I guess, if you're a Dragons fan or the Dragons club. Fonzie Warriors says, boys, do you think seeing or moving to an era of smaller mobile forwards on the edge, Brownie dropping Murdoch Masilla, moving Aitken, as an example, but also guys like Kikau less effective under the new rules? And if so, is it driven by changes in defence or attack? Well, I think Aiken is another one of these cases where sometimes you get these centres that come into grade when they're younger who are more power-based or run good lines, which he does, uh, that probably already have a lot of traits that fit a back row type player as much as they do a centre. So I think that transition for him is almost natural, a bit like a Luke Lewis who was a bigger stronger sort of type of body. I don't think it's all gone in terms of those big power guys or your kick-outs. Like, he's awfully mobile, got footwork, dynamic. I think the biggest thing for people like kick-out under these rules or just kick-out in general, um, it's just being consistent. He's just a bit moody in the way he plays. Some weeks he's an absolute terror and he wants the ball in his hands and he's on fire. Other weeks he's busy flopping on the ground or he drops the ball or doesn't feel like defending. Uh, Murdoch Masilla realistically, like they've used him on an edge for his impact and the size and trying to isolate half, but he's a middle. He's not a genuine back rower. Um, no, he's not. Yeah. And I, I think, again, you, you, your back rowers aren't going to be necessarily small, but you, you need mobility. 
There's no doubt about it. You, you're prototypical. Yeah, it's not about size, it's about skill and mobility. Yeah. And engine. And power, like you. Can you get 80 out and play at a high level? Yeah. It's... The, the, the type of player that you need has changed. Mm-hmm. It's not just size. The size isn't the issue. It's more you need them to be quality for 80. And, you know, you need, to have, need them to have that ability to be you know, have a high threshold for fatigue and that cardiovascular endurance. Mm. We've sort of gone away from that real power athlete because the game's sort of gone away from that power athlete. Yeah, and you, you've got, like, your Angus Crichton, for example, who's probably that tight right now. He's powerful, he's fast, he's got footwork, he's got a, you know, offload, he runs good lines, he defends well, he's got a motor. His other edge partner, Satili, similar deal again. Like he's more lean, but he's big, dynamic, hits holes, good lines, good feet. Kick out, ticks a lot of those boxes, like we said, but it's more just consistency. But yeah, I don't think it's had a huge effect on a change in back row. But um, yeah, Sam Bottomley, what do the retired players mean for the Roosters' salary cap and where should they strengthen? What should they go for? Well, the retiring players certainly left a gap in terms of leadership and then all the other injuries on top of that we've seen this year is obviously probably sped up the development of some of the younger guys and fringe guys who they would have just bled into the team slowly Uh, in terms of where they go I think they've already said themselves that a lot of their moves with the salary cap were shoring up players they've already had so they've got to shore up Walker they've got to get ready for Manu They've just signed Tedesco before the season. They signed Kiri before the season. They've got to re-sign Satili. They've got Crichton only in a one year they're trying to extend. So I don't think you're going to see players come in. Like They've got Watson coming back, but he's coming for less than what he had at the Knights. I think internally they're happy with what they've got. and They've got a good crop coming through that we've talked about before. So I wouldn't expect to see a lot of external signings. I think Kiri will come back next year with Walker, Tedesco, Manu, Satili. Crichton, Jared, like they've already got a pretty good starting 13, but you're going to see more of the young guys they've blooded, like your Egan Butchers, Fletcher Bakers, picking up and filling in those gaps, the development of your Kieran's and a few of the fringe guys. And then we've mentioned before the younger crew they've got coming through, the Torfer Graham twins and Nahafu White and Tukapuhau have played this year. I think they're looking more internally. Yeah, exactly. They've got plenty there, they've got good recruitment. Good coach. He'll go and pick the eyes out. Like, you know, the Connor Watson signing, outstanding. He'll just get guys that are going to add value. He'll coach them up. Um, they're, they're in a perfect position. Yeah, and I think, again, like you said, with the changes they've had, uh, nine is probably the one spot they're looking at. But if they like Verrills, which clearly they do, they're going to try and get him more time and build him back up. Watson's that guy, again, that can cover for 20, 25 minutes for Locke. Nine multiple positions if they need. Lusick played well earlier than he should have as a 19 year old. If Cups back, he'll keep developing. Thomas Deacon. So they've got internal options before they go out. We know we've heard about Brandon Smith, and I'm sure that's something they'll look at. But that's also a decision that they've got to take into account with having Kiri, Tedesco, Walker on an escalating deal, as well as trying to keep Crichton, Manu, etc. So something's going to give. If they lost Manu or knew they were going to lose Manu, maybe they go hard at. Brandon Smith, um, but for now, I think they'd much rather have Manu stay and probably work with a group that they've got. Yeah. Uh, should the Broncos go all out for Ponga in 2023 from Henry? I think this is more in relation to a lot of people today saying that with Watson moving on, 
best mates. He's got options in his deal every year. Ponga, would this be something that maybe frustrates him or pushes him to leave? Or I don't know. I think Newcastle are going to make a concerted effort for a long time to go above and beyond to keep Kale. And I think he'll be at Newcastle as long as he wants as long as he wants to. But these constant links to the Broncos. I know he's played for Queensland and he's from Queensland. Um, I, I don't necessarily know if Brisbane would be the best option for him in general on the market. I think if there was ever going to be another move, uh, it would be something more like the All Black situation, which, again, I still don't see right now. If he was going to make that sort of move, I thought it would have been this year, as we've spoken about before the World Cup or in preparation for the World Cup. So, um, And for the Broncos, I think their focus should be elsewhere for now. They've, they've got a lot more moves to worry about than loading up. Yeah, for another two seasons. He's 19, so... <clears throat> He's been going excellent as well, so... Mm. I, don't, yeah, I don't think the Broncos need to go out. Like, I, I think they're going to need a player like Kalen eventually. But right now, they certainly don't need to be going and blowing their water on, you know, superstar players. They they need to get the core of their roster right. Yeah, 100%. Like, if, you know, if you got him, you could then attract other players. I guess that's, you know, the other side of the argument. I, I don't... For the right prices, you know, you wouldn't say no. No, I think that's the big deal. They're getting themselves out of a situation, they don't want to get back into one. Um, and if they bought him, we know they've got third parties. He would attract those for them. It would have to be the right price in terms of what they put on their cap. They, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Luke B, can the Panthers win with Dylan Edwards at fullback? Um, I was more critical last year. I still think now that He's not exactly the biggest threat. I think he's got much better and he contributes a lot. But uh, f- for them, there's much more expectation, obviously, on their halves and nines. So I think they can win with him at fullback. But are they as dynamic throughout their whole spine? As, say, a Melbourne Storm or you know South Sydney in terms of all four players? No, I think they've got you know a very dominant seven, a very, very good nine and a good six. But f- the fullback leaves a little bit to be desired in terms of his threat on attacking plays, his ball playing, etc., as opposed to a Pappenhausen or a Hines on the end of their spines or the fact that Melbourne's got two nines or the fact that South have also got Walker, Reynolds, Luttrell, but, you know, Cook's probably less threatening under these new rules or has been less threatening. I think everyone's sort of got one area, but can they win with Edwards? Yes, I think they can. Definitely. Um, they definitely can. He, but, he suits their style. Yeah, that's right. Simple as that. Um, They've got Burton, while they've got Burton there, I'll say that. Burton playing in the centres will act as that service player. Yeah, and you've the talked about... Cleary and Ed, the stuff that Edwards does, he's so undervalued and underrated. Like, he's just such an effort player. So, yes, the, the answer is definitely yes. They, they can definitely win with Dylan Edwards at full Yeah. Uh, speaking of Penrith, Matty Walker said, how do you improve Penrith's roster? What outside signings do you make, if any? Again, I don't think they will. They've in they a sit- bench prop. Yeah, but realistically, we know that they're tight cap-wise, so I don't think you're going to see big outside movement. They're more worried about tying up internally, which they've done a pretty good job so far. Once there's confirmation of a couple of guys moving on next year, um, there'll be some moves made. But t- towards next season right now, they're already very tight in their cap. I think you're seeing your hot goods... Your Tagos, these sort of guys getting games now. They're, they're the people that are going to come in and play next year for the few losses they've got. They don't, they don't have a lot of room to go out. You might see a dollar dazzler 
or two in the off-season or take a role on a few veterans, but they're not going to be making any huge moves. Their, their cap is packed. Yeah. Ethan Shields, have South got the forward pack to win or are they a middle short? Well, I, I think... Uh, are a middle short. Yeah, well, I think, again, their bench is one thing we've brought up when a lot of people have said, Were they are they better than Melbourne this year? I think Melbourne, the fact they've got... Yeah, Melbourne now having the bench when they're full strength of Nelson, Tui and Cheese with Harry and the starting pack. I think their bench has got better this year. Um, Pungai is the guy we are talking about being a middle short where they probably can fill that gap in. And, and for South, I think development over the year of some different players has put them in much better stead uh, than early on in the picture where, again, I, I thought probably they are a middle short possibly, but the development now, Nichols is playing his, his best football he's played in his 10-year career. Tommy's playing outstanding. They've pushed Arrow into the back row. They're using Sewer in that role to relieve him to Tola's back. He was sort of forgotten about. I think the rules have probably brought a little less stress in terms of their middle, but on their best day, I definitely think they've got enough there. Yeah, I, I think they do too, but... They're gonna have to be. They're gonna have to be dominant, and they're gonna have to have all of them firing. Yeah. Uh, Typo King and JDHD again. More Dragons fans not happy with how Norman and those keep getting selected, and now that they've made an offer for him by, what does that mean for the kids? Well, we've addressed that situation, but no surprise. They've got him by. Our, our yeah, our loyal uh, Dragons listeners very frustrated as always. <laughs> I'd be frustrated as well. Yeah. Uh, Brad Roll. Do you, do you think a woodpecker can literally disintegrate a timber with its beak, or is it just a rumour that no one has been able to spell? Wow. I reckon it could do it. I'm going to back him in. I'm going to back him uh, in, We've got one here. Alex is asking, when's the podcast going to be out? Well, we're still recording, so... Something. You'll get that one when you're on. It's uh, almost quarter to 11 right now. But we're firing along. We're doing what we can do. Gary Barnes, he's always wanted to know what is at the end of the show. It's, it's Chopper. It's Uncle Chopper. Uncle Chopper, it's Eric Banner off the movie. If, if a few people have asked that, still can't believe people don't know that one. They need to get cultured. Like, we're in lockdown, guys. Go and watch Chopper. Chopper Reed, and it's in jail when he's watched the news, and they've had a little feature about him. Is that it? Is that it? Is that all? Uh, give us more. Give us more. Uh, Joshy Curran. That's it. Uh, Joshy Curran, is there such thing as a voluntary tackle anymore? You see fullbacks just dive on the ground in goal. That used to be a voluntary tackle. Or, nah. No. Nah. Simple answer for that one to get through. Mateo Grasso. It's in the rule book, but it's never afforded. No. Mateo Grasso, what happened to the Magic Round crackdown? Well... Your guess is as good as... We've said that for a long time and I've seen it on our discussion page and a lot of people out there, it's conspiracy theory that it's certain players, it's certain clubs, it's this, that and the other. It's not. It's just fucking inconsistency from referees. Plain and simple. There's no conspiracy or bias. It's just fucking consistency. And the crackdown is gone. Uh, Here we go. Lee Bailey says he's got a tricky one. For instance, the Tigers and the Knights or the Titans, any of those two teams finish eight the Knights with the exact same points difference and they both beat each other by the same score in the regular season 
and everything else was exact, what would happen? Would they have to would they have to play each other for a place, or is there no, something I think, else? I think the rule is like as crazy. As it, I'm pretty sure it's a coin toss. Yeah, well, others have written on there that Kent said that last night, and it goes to whoever's conceded more points. And then they've said that there's a bunch of other stats hypothetically to go, but it's all it. Yeah, and then it's a coin toss. Someone's written so. There you go. Oh, yeah, I thought Andrew Voss, I can remember Andrew Voss going over it, because oh, he's crazy, he loves that sort of shit. Mm. Um, this this would have been oh, four or five years ago, he was going over it, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, after a certain amount of things that are equal, it goes some point offs. It might have been, been when Tigers played the Sharks to get in, and they were close to four and against with someone. Yeah, I don't know, but if that's what it came down to a coin toss, you'd be pretty filthy. Yeah. In all honesty, that would that would drive you right up the fucking wall, surely. 100%. But moving on, while my computer's having a bit of a mini meltdown here. Uh, Jason McGrath says, without spending too much time, how do we feel about the new rules? So six again. Speeding up with less interchanges now, bringing fatigue. The high contact rules and players placed on report for any contact. Well, that was there and then gone and then come back. I, again, the word consistency is just non-existent with that. I, I thought the crackdown at the start was fucking insanity for a few weeks, but they've then let a lot of things go the last few weeks that were a sin bin prior to that. So I'm not a fan, just because, again, they haven't followed through. Yeah, uh, six again to start with seemed like it was doing... A positive and bringing that fatigue, and I definitely thought with that we didn't need any more interchanges. But similar again, I, I think there's an element now where people complained about there being too many and a bit of the wrestles crept back into the game. So again, bubble on the carpet, you're never going to get it quite right. But clubs are always going to push the boundary regardless of what you bring in. Uh, and the last one here, less interchanges. Oh, with that or the high contact. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think we're at a point now where. Brock said it multiple times, and I probably agree with him. We've had two lots of massive changes in two interrupted seasons. Next year, there should be none to actually let things settle in, hopefully have a normal year. Everyone adjusts. There's been talk the last few weeks that the scores have been a little bit lower in a few games, and maybe people are starting to get on top of the rules. I think part of it has to do with, again, also a little bit of the wrestle creeping back in, but I think just no more changes for next year. That's, that's the main thing. We've had too much in the last two seasons. Yeah. Jack Keeley says, who's the best junior you've seen come through? <clears throat> that I've been involved with? Oh, could be anything. So I'm, I'm going to take it from the category of who I played against coming through. Um, if we're going to go off of that, it was probably a guy who I went to school with and played with who never ended up playing first grade, but he was awarded the biggest ever schoolboy contract, Greg Waddell. Uh, he was an absolute freak, and then as soon as he signed, he just never was healthy, the poor bastard. He was a centre who was an excellent defender. He'd cut you in half. He was fast. He could carry both hands, fend, palm. Penrith made him the richest schoolboy in history, and straight after, he tore his ACL. Um, then his ACL again, then pecs, and he had every injury under the sun, and he just never quite made it onto the field. But in terms of talent, uh, without all that, I have no doubt in my mind he would have been a 10-plus year rep player, but he was just cruel with injury. 
Yeah, if you're going on a guy that didn't play first grade, Blake Hamlin, one of my best mates, gun, hooker, uh, went to Manly, did his ACL and just got playing. Um, in terms of guy I played with, Jared Hayne at Para, he played, he was in our fleet squad and he was uh, just out of Harold Mats. So he was playing under-19s when he was under-16s, which is craziness. And in terms of coached, uh, it'd, it'd probably have to be, it'd have to be Nathan Cleary. Um, you know, having, you know, I sort of coached him for oh, like five years straight almost, which was like unreal. Um, uh, and, and talent, like not pure talent, but just a great work ethic, a great attitude, um, very humble. So he was just. Yeah, really, really, really cool guy to coach. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, oh, I'm just going to stick with that one category. I could keep going as well, but yeah. There's a guy at um, Mounties now called Josh Daly, who's a, a hooker um, that was, you know, like I'd, I'd put him on the same level as, uh, <clears throat> as like a Brad Dietz, who played first grade this year. So he's one who I've really enjoyed coaching this year that I think, you know, could easily, easily handle the NRL level. Um, I think he played cup with it and won three men of the match awards for us in cup. Um, so he's, he's a guy I've really enjoyed coaching this year. Yeah. All right. Well, we've still got a few to go, so let's try and ramp things up well, a little bit. Actually, I'll give you another one. There's a hooker who was, he was in my Sydney Gold side, made the Sydney CHS, oh, sorry, the New South Wales CHS side named Aaron Kepi. I'm not sure whether he's related to the, the Kepi that's at Manly, but um, he's a hooker, tough kid, 15. Um, I think he'll he'll also go places. He's one that the West Tigers should be trying to, to wrap up. I think he won the player of the carnival at the state championships for the under 15, so he's one to keep an eye on as well. All right, All right. let's try and bang through some of these now. We've still got a bit to go. Uh, can we see a game continuing to change in terms of rules? Can it become more fast, lose the integrity gradually, or turn back to shit and sort of go how 2020 is going right now, Nick Spence? Nah. I don't think they'll ever let it get that far. I don't think they could make a whole lot more change than what they already have. And yeah, we need less change. We, we need to stabilise, like we said before, for at least a year or two because we've made way too much change in the last 18 months. Uh, Nathan Chalker, this is a hard one. First three players you'd pick in a draft of 2022 if you were starting right now. Well, if, if it was a draft with no salary cap, because that's the other question you've got to factor in here, you'd be going all spine players straight away, wouldn't you? So if you were going to say it was a draft with no salary cap and it was whatever you want, well, I'd be going half hook at fullback. I'd be going Harry Grant, Nathan Cleary and probably Turbo. <laughs> Yeah, I'd go Cleary Turbo. I don't know who the other one is. Probably Cody Walker. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, depending. It's been unreal. Um, yeah, like Harry Grant. Yeah. Smith. I'd, I'd comfortably take either of those. But in a genuine draft situation, pick for pick, different story. But if you told me it was unlimited, picking up three players, etc. and yeah, whatever. I'd gladly take Tedesco. Oh, 100%. But yeah. Yeah, three. Yeah, 
clear is your obviously one. Yeah. Turbo is your obvious one. Like he's out of this world at the moment. Yeah, key positions. And then it's just, yeah, your hooker. There's, I don't think Harry Grant's had a great year, more due to injury, but um, yeah, he's what, clearly... When he's on the field, though. He's clearly unreal. Brandon Smith's unreal. Yeah. I think Appy, Appy's been really, really good, but he's probably... He's, no, he's not a top... prime right now. Like, you're not really going to... You're not drafting draft, him. You're draft one of the younger guys, yeah. No. All right. Matty Walker, Golden Try versus Golden Point. Where do you stand? I like the Golden Try with all other scoring, field goal, penalty goal, having to play out an extra time for a win is valid. Oh, for me... I hate, I hate both of them. I like just normal extra times. Yeah, unless it's a final, in which case I think you play the time and it comes down to, you know, the 10 minutes. And then you go to Golden Point. It doesn't stop for a field goal or try. You play the 10 minutes and whoever wins, yeah. wins, and then you keep going until you get a result after that. That's right. Robert Temesbury says, not really a question, but how shitty is it not being able to go to the footy and have a couple of Robert Downey schooners on the hill? True that. Yeah, it's, we're into our eighth week here now. Look, I know, I think Victoria did like 200 days of lockdown last year. We've just passed 50, I think. We might be at like 55. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed America and the UK are starting to bag the fuck out of us and say how ridiculous it is that we're locked down for... Well, I think... So minimal cases, but... Our death numbers um, say something different. Hey? Our deaths say something completely different. Yeah, well, yeah. It's two different approaches, but let's not go down the COVID rabbit hole again. No, it's not. It's not a rabbit hole. It's just an opinion. Like, fuck, you're allowed to have an opinion. No, nah, I'm but, with you. Um, yeah, I, it's, it sucks. It sucks not being able to get the free, but I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm more worried about small business owners, worried about uh, the kids who don't have great home lives, that, you know, they're not able to go to school. You know, they're, some of the some of the you know kids are living two or three siblings in a room. You know, I think we've just got to look at think about you know small small business and those in our community who don't have a lot and who may have lost their jobs and you know who are trying to pay their way. So footy in a schooner would be awesome, but yeah, I think there's so much more to what's going on with with society at the moment. And then you fucking look over at Afghanistan, like. That's some of the worst thing, fucking shit I've, I've seen ever. Some of the scenes from the airport there, people trying to get out. Like, we are uh, beyond lucky in this country. So, and Leah, America and the UK are sort of probably six months ahead of where we are. I don't, they didn't really do lockdowns, I don't think. I'm not really knowing, but as like I said, it's different, different approach. I, I think we've been. You know, it's gone a little bit too far in my opinion, but I know there's a lot of people that feel the other way, like that we haven't gone hard enough. So, and again, everyone's entitled to feel as though what they want. But I do, I do like the fact that we're trying to prevent death. I, I fully understand that. The only point that I sort of made before was that I think, you know, if we're going to start to compare deaths, like there's a lot of other areas, including mental health at the moment, that, you know, I think. There's a lot of deaths occurring because of poor mental health as well. So I'd like to see us really put some focus on that as well. That's all. Yep. Uh, back to the foosball and Johnny Walsh. I think he's getting a bit of head noise here. Do you think playing Burton at left centre last year means Penrith are the defending premiers and he doesn't sign with the Bulldogs? No and no. He's got four plays that led to a disallowed try involving May and Crichton. 
penalty trial try with May. Crichton getting his line wrong would have been a try in the first half. May pushing a forward pass in our own end before half time for Smith's try and Pappenhausen getting around May. Mate, I think you've watched that game way too many times and you're putting. I've got, I've got a lot of Penrith fans. I was screaming, like, I would have played Burton last year. I would have played Burton as well, but I don't think yeah, that's the difference between them winning the comp or not. No, no neither do I. And again, you, you're 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 insinuating you're insinuating purely off this year that he wouldn't have made any of those mistakes. Like it's a game, it's high pressure. They make those decisions. Well, no, we won't. But, but like, I think uh, it was a mistake to not play. Burton. Yeah, I think there was more than one mistake. I think they didn't play both sides of the field. They exclusively attacked yeah. one edge. Yeah, they were predictable. Like, these three or four moments aren't the only reason. And you're talking about here, not just errors and other parts of the game. I think they're a young team. They come up against a much more experienced side. And there's a lot more factors than just those key moments as to why they lost that grand final. And let's be honest, Melbourne at the back end of that half were already drinking out of the trophy, essentially. I, I don't think they were great in the last 20, 25 minutes. So, uh, no, more importantly, Johnny, this year, Burton's there now. They're there now. Clear, yeah, Cleary's yeah. back. They've got Pungai Jr. on board. That probably helps with that bench situation. If they can get things on track, fit and firing and going, their their window's still open. The premiership is more, there. More than open. So I think uh, positives from this year, and hopefully they stay healthy and get on a, a good run of form heading into the backhand here and... I think if they have all their guns fit and firing, they're the biggest threat to Melbourne. Yeah. Matty Cherry, not an NRL question, but he's got a semi on the weekend and the hooker of the opposition team's a really dominant player. They run most of their shape off him. Any advice how to make him less effective? What was it, sorry? He's playing a semi on the weekend and their hooker in the opposition team runs most of their shape. He said, is there any advice how to make him less effective? Comment here. Someone said hookers are less effective if you don't pay them. That's true. If you don't what? If you don't pay them. Chico Rodriguez, dark horse to make a run to the grand final or club to overachieve and fall short. Oh, Uh, I I don't think they're much of a dark horse. I think that top four. I don't think there is a dark horse. I think those four teams are... Mainly to me is about dark horse because we haven't really spoken about them all year. Like, well, for the last month, I think we've taken them seriously. Probably since the Melbourne game, we've gone, okay, like, they competed. Before yeah. that, it was sort of like, well, we want to see them play a good side. So I'd be shocked if Manly won the comp. Put it that way. Yep. All right. Justin Bertram, this is a good one. Can he take his parents to court for raising their Tigers fan? Um, yes, you should be able to. It depends how old he is. Like we're old enough to experience 05. If the answer to that is yes, then you know they've done a good job. Good job. Michael Darcy Grimmond. This is a longer one. In the current setup, 
is the competition sustainable? It would seem that top four to six uh, teams develop. Oh, sorry, may develop into a top four to six situation where the same teams battle out each year, where the players make their name for the cannon fodder for teams, and if they have aspirations of winning a comp, they sign for the elite clubs. There is a golf in class, obviously, which isn't a problem in sports like soccer, but they have a transfer system where smaller clubs reap bigger awards. For youth development, NFL has a draft, and it evens out. Usually, I understand the draft isn't compatible with our youth pathways, so it's a two-part question, really. What is the way forward, and would a transfer fee work? Well, again, you can't really compare soccer and NFL because that has a whole farm system that we don't have, and that's, you know... Or well, separate development in the NFL, and it's not associated with the with the club. No, it's got nothing to do with it. Ours is all through the club, and mm. some do develop more than others. And yes, the elite, uh, you know, probably always sort of there at this current point in time. But that also comes down more to what we've also said before. It's not just the clubs; it's the coaching, the administration, and how they're all run. Like you've got an elite group for a reason because the others just can't get their shit together on multiple levels, not just player development, coaching, administration, board decisions, cap management. Um, The soccer system, again, doesn't really transfer because we're talking about a one-country sport where essentially soccer's global. There's a couple of bigger leagues or bigger teams, but it's just a completely different setup. Um, in, In terms of if you want to put some reward in for clubs or make it more sustainable, those who do produce players should be rewarded so like your cameras of the world for example for a while there were doing the right thing when players got in trouble with the NRL and then the NRL was letting them go sign for someone like the Roosters like you know Blake Ferguson or Todd Carney for next to nothing after Canberra did all the hard work and developed them or they develop an Anthony Milford for Brisbane just to buy him back when he's a finished product and get nothing for it there should be fees automatically attached to players I think if you poach them at a certain age or if you're supplying them like Penrith is for a lot of teams around the competition, just something there that at least gives back for the amount they put in for junior development. Because without certain clubs, there wouldn't be enough players or juniors to go around for all the other clubs. Yeah. But, yeah. I just, yeah, I find it hard to compare to a lot of sports because, we again, we don't have the same setup and it's, it's really hard to compare. Uh, Kyle, is James Maloney one of the greatest players in the modern era to miss out on a regular test spot? Well, uh, yes, but you got to look at who he was missing out for. Yeah, I mean, that's probably. Is he, he could, is he a capable test player? I guess is the question. Yes. Yeah. Is the answer. But bit of a late bloomer. Other guys ahead of him. Um, probably more so what played against him. <laughs> Lauren Huntley, not a question, but feedback. I've got two devastated boys about their rugby league being cancelled. One of them had his first year of reps this year, so he's completely shattered. Currently, they devour anything NRL-related on TV, train in the backyard, and listen to the podcast. I've been listening since last year, but they joined in this year. They love the insight, and we can't wait for Wednesdays. So thank you from myself and two very keen, self-proclaimed future Sea Eagles. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, good. Go uh, hard, young man. Lauren. Train in the backyard. Yeah, good. All the best, and uh, yeah, very sad for you, your young boys. I'm a female listener. I love that. We've got a stack of female listeners. We do, and I, I swear a little bit at times. So I, I, I apologise for that, but yeah, even better when there's kids involved. And again, tell them to keep their head up, keep training hard, and hopefully a bit more normality next year for them in the, 
those aspirations, I love it. That's how they should be thinking. That's the sort of mindset and attitude that gets you to that level. Did we get a question from Sandy now? Sandy Hunter. She's a Parramatta fan who's in lockdown up in Newcastle at the moment. She's she's usually on Twitter, but I, I don't see her. She's in any. a dark, dark place, Sandy, I reckon, at the moment. <laughs> With the form of Parramatta and being in lockdown, it's, it's not good. It's yeah. not combat. Nothing yet, but we'll see. Love you, Sandy. Jamie Dutton. Are you guys ready for a four-hour podcast again with fan questions? Great stuff. <laughs> well, what else are we going to do with our time? Well, we're still going, so... We've got plenty of time at the moment. Stephen Collis, who's the player you both played with that's gone on to play first grade that you enjoyed playing with the most? So this is a different version, I guess. Uh, well, mine's probably enjoyed playing with the most. Well, it'd probably be Vaughn, just because you're one of my best mates. Uh, but if you want to go off ability or what they did um, his career has been you know up and down and backwards and forth but to me Sam Williams very underrated when I went there um, he's not a guy that you would watch on TV as a viewer right now and think a whole lot about but super underrated he was the halfback of the year the year I was at Canberra he's a very very good organiser very smart and in at that level in particular he was very, very deceptive. He, he doesn't look like he's moving fast or he doesn't look like he's doing something and then next minute he was 60, 50 metres upfield on a line break. He always ball played nice. He put you into good spaces, good shapes. He, he was a guy as a an edge player more so when I was down there that was very, very easy to play outside of. I played in school side with two centres, Jeff Daniela, Michael Jennings, speed to burn, both legend blokes, Still work with uh, Jeff. Works at I work at school with Jeff. He works with Clontarf with Latu Fafita. One of the great, great blokes you'll ever meet, Jeff Daniela. So he was um, we were just best mates at school and played footy together. And um, yeah, legend. Still playing Ron Massey Cup at St Mary's. So caused me a few headaches this year as well. Mm. Um, but Michael Jennings, yeah, just the fastest uh, most skillful and agile player I, I ever saw apart from probably Jared Hayne yep uh, and yeah the other one pretty obvious Mum's throwing in the ball I remember the old man used to say stop stop being um, unselfish and throwing the ball to him I was like that is fucking unbelievable hmm. uh, and probably the other one for the defensive side of the game Papali He's a, he's a very handy bloke to stand next to. He fucking kills people. Legit. And he learnt that the hard way in a pre-season scrimmage where we got a tip sheet saying stay away from the 17-year-old kid and uh, learnt the hard way twice. He got a tip sheet for a pre-season scrimmage? Yeah, we played an in-house game for a bit of a warm-up and he murdered everyone, but he was the only one who specifically said do not run out. <coughs> Learned the hard way. Chris Caprice, the turnaround in rules over the last four rounds has had such a big impact on teams like Para, Cowboys, Dragons. I also think it's helped teams like Canberra, Newcastle, top teams, Melbourne, Penrith, adapt. What do you think? By reversal, I mean less six agains, head highs and sin bins, etc. Well, I think it's had an effect on all teams in terms of favour or who it's worked out for results. Why is that? That's one thing, but I just think again we're looking for consistency, and we're not getting it. Uh, we want it all year round, and we mentioned it before. Less changes moving forward, the better. Yeah. James Pryor, Joshua James Pryor, how would the Roosters be going 
if they had Collins, Friend, Cordner, Kiri, Morris, etc., do you think? I think they'd, oh, be, they'd, be, they'd be on the same level as your South Sydney's of the world. They'd be top four, no doubt. Um, and in terms of if they consistently... Well, if 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 Walker ended up getting in with Kiri and they had friend to balance things out a little bit with Verrill still and Radley in the mix. To be honest with Cordner, I think it was probably the right time. I think the edges they have now are so dynamic um, that that's probably one that wasn't as big a hindrance, but Collins would certainly help right now. Cordner might even been able to move into a lock role and they use Radley in a bit more of a rotation, but all those guys... Unbelievable. Yeah, uh, the the fact they are where they are is incredible. George Shembury, do the refs get together after the weekend and go through the games? If so, can they get some uniformity on their decisions, like teams analysis and do video on their games? Well, they're coached, so that's the part, again, where we talk about consistency and different interpretations of rules and the way they're applied. That's why it's even scarier that there is such a divide. Yeah, they do definitely get together and watch the games Shawnee Chand asking some established uh, some guys that aren't established first graders that you would expect to be over the next couple of years I mentioned one before Josh Daly um, uh, yeah tough one for me because I'm seeing um, well beyond Igota was he's one that you know he's probably got there a little bit early um Body, I guess at the Bulldogs, I think he'll be a, he'll be a first grader. Uh, Dean Madison, I think he's got a got a chance. He, he got given a development contract or you know put in the Bulldogs full time squad at some point this year. Ryan Madison's brother, who's with us at at Mounties, um, he's got a you know a huge chance. He's probably one of those guys we were talking about before that. You know, the fact that the comp's been stopped is going to hurt. Yeah, there are probably a few. Penrith have got an absolute stack. Well, I've got written here a bunch that are more so not involved in first grade yet that are more flag and ball. Um, so Penrith, you've already seen a couple that have been accelerated. So you've seen Tago, obviously. There's a young guy who come up from, I think, Young. He's a centre. Tommy Jenkins, he's gone from flag to cup already and he's going to be top squad. Manly, you've already seen a couple, but they've got a young bloke, Alec Tuatavaki. K.O. Weeks, Farnu's brother. You've already seen Sexton at the Titans. Parramatta, you've seen Sean Russell. They've also got Sam Lozu. Hughes, a couple of front rowers. Um, the Warriors, Otakolo's already playing this year. He only played SG Ball last year. Viyama Valais just started playing. He's the same. The Dragons, Sloan, Amone. Josh Corrick, a young forward. The Tigers, probably a couple of years away, but Justin Matamua. And is, is it Brandon Tumuth is the other forward from Bowman, was it? Yeah, Brandon Tumuth. Yep. Um, there's another back row there. That'll, um, it'll it, go it was Guyan, wasn't it? Guyan, maybe. No, not him. There's no. another one. Uh, Roosters, mentioned a lot of them, but those two twins, the Torfer Graham yeah, twins. Yeah, twins are unreal. Uh, Raiders, you've seen Savage already. They've got a young guy, Clay Webb, Trey Mooney. Jack Howarth at Melbourne. They've got another fullback, Sawfar Logo. Christian Manana Mia at the Newcastle Knights. The Cowboys have basically blooded every kid already that you're going to see. Souths, you already know about Ilias. Taft's played, Moali, Duncan Tallis. They've got, oh, sorry, Tallis Duncan. They've got sign up long term. 
Um, that's just a lot off the top of my head from a lot of clubs there. So there you go. Uh, Nick Spence, how is Aaron Woods playing first grade and the current Sharks captain? Well, it's probably more a question for Cronulla right now and where they're at. Yeah. Jared Broadbent, who would win a pub fight? Gus and Trent Barrett versus Wayne Bennett and Todd Payton. Well, if if that's what it is, Wayne's going to get punched and just disintegrate into a pile of dust, but. Toddy Payton will put Gus and Trent Barrett both in a headlock and just pound the crap out of them, in my opinion. I disagree. I reckon Barrett and Gus would have Payton covered. Well, Gus isn't going to lose anything in terms of looks. I think Barrett would be too worried about his face and hair. Uh, Barrett played in a pretty tough era. So I'm backing in Toddy to get down and dirty. I am not. Alexander Burkett is asking, would love to hear about coaching careers. What's the best individual bit of coaching you think you've done maybe something tactical during a game or something you've said to a player poor uh, yeah look I think there's I've coached a lot of teams that haven't been as good as the opposition that have won but you know is that that's not all coaching um, I think just development of teams is the is the one, you know. Um, yeah, I'm proud of the stuff I did at Penrith. Like, a lot of those guys now playing first grade, I've got a whole heap of those actually, but it's not just one person that does it. So it's a whole heap of coaches that had sort of um, contributed to that. Personally, yeah, you're always, there's stuff in games I always look at and go, fuck, look, that, that went really well. That worked well. Other times you go, oh, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that again. Um, I'd say every game there's something there that I go, yeah, like, that helped us win or helped us um, gave us a better chance of winning. Because I think every, every minute of every game you're going to try and put your team in a better position if you can as a coach. Um, yeah. Without having time to really think about it. Yeah, I. You'll probably want to answer that more than me, like you. Well, you're you're more of a you're more the coach out of us two, but for me, in terms of what we've been involved with, I think probably the biggest one, probably more you said in terms of development, is probably the first year at West, because we inherited a situation that was a complete rebuild, with no real base. Um, No base at all. They'd not won a game for five or six years in Harold Matts and we went four and four, which given the situation and having literally nobody to work with, generally you're only allowed to take 30 or so players. We took 50, flogged the crap out of them, worked our way through a group, built up a really good core, blooded more than half of them as year youngs, which is just not really something you do and we got the best out of them. So in, in terms of from top to bottom, and the growth in a period, I think that was huge, or if not, probably second year of C grade. We had a team that was very different to the first year, had a lot of guys that we developed and rep players that went on to play Fleg and Cup and elsewhere. The year after was a lot less talented, but um, we worked really, really hard, made a couple of decisions in key positions and changes on the run, and we won a comp again back-to-back in a, with a completely different style of team. Yeah, and a completely different style of play. Yeah, so I think those two are probably the two big ones. Chris Steffen's got a massive 
hilarious rant here about Beer Hill and pennies and expired cans and KFC, all my sorts of favourites. But given we've got a thousand questions still, I'm going to go to the back end here. Sorry, Chris, but I love it. I've really enjoyed reading that. Victor Adley, Mitch Barnett, or Nelson Asofasola Amona, fold one, step one, or run it straight. That's from Peter Valenis, the manifest of him. Demands an answer. Oof. Well, what was it? Fold one. Step one, or run it straight at one. Well, I'm going to run straight at Mitch Barnett. Oh, I'm going to run straight at Radley. Well, fold one. I'm going to step Solomon. I'm going to fold Barnett. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to fold Radley and I'm going to step Nelson. I think, yeah. Step Nelson for sure. But I love that round. It's about chicken bets. It's like a full paragraph thing. Chris, good work. I love it. That's great. Chris Smith, do you think we'll see the return of the genuine centre in the next five years due to the speed of the game? Your best Harper seem to be more traditional who can put their winger over to beat a man. A few years ago, it was just all back rollers and the centre was going bigger bodies. But will it become more valuable? Well, I think it already has become more valuable. I still think wing and all the other positions are probably ahead of it, but that factor has certainly brought more relevance back to the centre position, I think. Benny Robertson, um, irrespective of age groups you play with against, reach your expectations... Uh, which players you play with or against reach your expectations of how good they are? Well, we've kind of gone over that with some guys, but yeah, I think guys like Brock was saying, Janko and that, they, they certainly reach their expectation. Yeah, I'd say Jennings and Hayne. Yeah. Um, mine, again, would probably be more some guys at school. Albert Kelly's probably one that didn't talent-wise, but Wade Graham and a lot of guys my age group. Cootie won a grand final, etc. Um you know, the guys I played with at Canberra, a lot of those guys went on to play first grade rep football. I, I, they're plenty. Um, some exceeded expectation, but yeah, Jackie White and Zipper Parleys, they all had big raps on them. They all played rep football. Andrew Wales, I'd like to see the raps in the grand final, but only, can only really see Melbourne doing the double. What do you reckon? Yeah, the, the closer it gets, the, you just understand how unpredictable it is. Hmm. You can talk all year about, oh, these are the best two teams all year. Like the preliminary final, when those two teams run out, they're not going to care about what was supposed to happen. And you rarely see when, you know, there's two dominant teams or whatever, <clears throat> you rarely see it actually come to fruition. There's usually, you know, an upset somewhere along the line or someone gets an injury. So, <clears throat> you know, right now I'd, I'd still say Penrith Melbourne and I'd probably like to see Penrith Melbourne, but a little hiccup wouldn't surprise me. Yep. And uh, Josh Shannon, what's your opinion on having commentators do only games of teams they've had no affiliation for? So yeah, no, I, think that's, I think that's fair. I, yeah, I think I it's think hard for him to... Nothing annoys me more, but they, Fox League in particular seem to just love it. Yeah, I think uh, it's very, very hard for him to do so. I guess when some of them have played for multiple clubs and who they employ, they'd probably have to employ a few more, I guess, to get them away from that. Um, in terms of crossing over, yeah, but schedule better. Yeah. Jason Chan, he wants to hear about the next Walker or Walsh or Turbo in the next couple of years. Well, we gave plenty of names we went through. Yeah. I don't know about specifically spine players. There's a couple of guys in there that are spine, but that was a lot of names. And uh, Joel Catania brought up about Burton next year. The Dogs. Do you think he'll be able to take that momentum that he seems to play better off? 
um, with a dominant controlling half and do it at the dogs because they don't seem to have one? And will that expectation result in him being like Flanagan? I definitely don't think he'll be like well, look Flanagan. Look how he played when Cleary wasn't there. There's your answer. Mm. He's going to run and be an effort player, but yeah, I think he'll be even better once they get somebody else next to him or a good nine. Um, but he's definitely not Flanagan. They're completely different players, but in terms of the impact he has... He would help Flanagan, though. Yeah, 100% he would. He would really help Flanagan. Uh, Shane Bryson, is way Graham done? Alarmingly prone to concussions and has done everything he has to do in the game. Well, I think, again, when you've got to the pinnacle and you get a bit older and he's started to have kids now and you have the head knocks, I definitely think he's getting closer. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, early on when you're young and you're single and you're a bit loose and you've got no fear and no premierships and no rep jerseys, like that that anger, that intent, he was one of those guys that was you know, vicious, hitting halfbacks and pressure and a very, very aggressive. Uh, I think probably there's been a decline physically in the last... 12 to 18 months and now along with the head knocks and probably just a change in life situation and ticking all those boxes yeah um, maybe no, he that, that's the, he's had the right to answer that question himself oh 100% uh, but yeah I think I don't that, think he's done if he wants to play I don't think he's done 100% but I, I, is, is it safe for him to play yeah well, that's a question for the club and him to answer I guess yeah it is Troy L why is Brock such a top bloke can you answer that Brock I don't know, man. And a few others say you need a new microphone. Well, it's not a microphone. We're, he's unfortunately on mobile because of lockdown, so yeah. that's uh, just what we're dealing with, unfortunately. A few, a few would argue that I'm not a top bloke, so... <laughs> Classic. But that's uh, okay, mate. Jason McQueenie, at the end of South's current premiership window, is at the end, at the end of this year. Large number yes. of players moving on. Milford being added in a new coach. He fears you for... Lost your half, yes. He's fearing for lean years ahead. No, I don't think lean years, but you need to find a seven. You'll definitely be a finals team. I think it'll all come down to the development of Ilias, Milford, or whoever they decide to put into that role next year. That'll play a big part. I still think they've got a good forward pack, good back line. Cody's still there. I still think there's enough talent. They're definitely a top eight side. Yeah, I think they're going to be five to eight. So... I think probably still four or five with what else everyone else has got. I don't see them getting much worse than teams behind them. Uh, Adam Thomas, who or what position player do you think the Broncos should chase? I see they've got Tessie, which is great, but um, yeah, oh, right now I think they still need a hooker. That's probably the big one. They need a nine. Nine is a big need for a couple of teams. So, given they've got Reynolds, given they've got Tessie and he's only 19, you'd keep pushing forward with him. They've still got good young forwards and guys pushing through. Uh, you'd argue six, they could still deal with another half. But for now, they've got guys that could play at least outside Reynolds. It's not as big a worry, but yeah, nine is definitely a concern. That's for sure. Yeah. Scott Brez says, usually there's always this log jam and talk around teams fighting. I've always wondered what's the actual benefit to even make the eight if you're just cannon fodder. Is there a financial benefit or is it just considered a pass mark for a lot of clubs? Oh, it's good to play in a final. Like, the comp starts again. You, as much as you sort of say, like, well, we might not do anything when we get there, once you do get there, you convince yourself that you can do anything. Yeah. As a player and as a coach, you start to think, well, fuck it, like, we're on here, it's four weeks... We're going to throw out the stumps here. And, and if you can jag one at an upset early, like you can build momentum. I'm not saying that, you 
know, any of those teams that fall in this year are able to to win it. <clears throat> but I I definitely think that team seven and eight could beat um, five and six, particularly if it's an in- injury ravaged Roosters and an out of form Parramatta. Yeah, I'm with you. And that'd be that'd be huge. Yeah, yeah, I mean, plus it's always it's always better to play finals than not. One hundred percent. In terms of financial benefit, I, I don't think about the Broncos how they fucking carried on after they got smacked by Parramatta. They haven't been back to the final since. Mm. Well, financial benefit, I'm not sure. I think obviously winning the cup, winning the minor premiership. I know in other sports, finals because the players well, are paid. Financial benefit in that if you get a home game or whatever, you get a gate. Yeah, gate revenue, stuff for your club, etc. Right, this. Pretty sure the, there is a financial incentive. I, I don't know that for sure. In the current climate, pro- it'd have to be. Yeah, in the current climate, there wouldn't be. I doubt, but yeah, in the normal setup, uh, yeah. pro- probably more of the gate and the ticket takings and some other things that would benefit the club. I think they'd share it, mate. Share it. Sure, Corey. Yeah, classic. Uh, Adam Mingaro says, if you could change one rule, what would it be and why? Also, a couple of training tips for young kids. Well, in terms of changing one rule, I still hate the seven-tackle set when it's an attacking kick. Like, unless you're intentional. I'd, I'd fuck off that and I'd fuck off the six again. Yeah, well, I just... I hate it. When people were booting it dead, I understood that's frustrating, but you can see that's intentional. But when you're putting in a cross-field kick or an attacking kick and someone... Yeah. Knocks it dead accidentally, or something like that's just bullshit. That turns into seven tackles. Like yeah. you're getting discouraged from putting an attacking kick and training tips for younger kids to become better tacklers. Well, I guess just reps, trying to build confidence. A lot of young kids, it's just more a fear thing and getting your body position right and getting your head right. But um, I think the biggest thing for young kids is teach them how to get to the tackle safely. Yeah, teach them about their footwork, their approach. And then, yeah, like you said, just body position and where their head and eyes are. But I think a lot of, a lot of kids don't know how to get to the tackle. No. They rush up on an angle or they, you know, their, te- their actual running technique and their approach technique isn't what it needs to be. Yeah, you're supposed to short. That's why they get in a shit position when you head into a tackle. Yeah. Shorten up your footsteps on approach. Close the body distance. Always have your eyes on the target. Head to the side. Um, but yeah, I think for, again for young kids, like you said, also just confidence. A lot of young guys are scared of technique, which is why it doesn't get much better, and they don't get coached. So just get comfortable, I guess. Yeah. Gavin Costello said, "Who is your favourite current referee, and who's the worst?" I like Matty Chichen. I've seen a lot of people baking him the other week. After a couple of decisions in some games, I still think. Oh, he's fucked up some decisions. I just love him. I reckon he's a fucking legend. In terms of how he handles the game, yeah, he just handles the play as well. Yeah. You know, I think he he lets the game flow to a large extent. The worst to me. He's had a couple of ordinary ones lately. Um, Who can't I stand? Klein. Benny Cummins, I don't particularly like. Um, What's the bloke? The other bloke. I can't cop Klein. I think Klein's terrible. Yeah, Klein's not great. He's had some Barry Crockers. Ask Ricky about Klein. Oof. Daniel. Australian coach. Classic. Daniel Aielu well, said. People don't know that Klein actually started refereeing the Super League. Yeah, well, that's the thing. He came over here afterwards and they're like he's the best one over there. And I, I don't think he's ever been good while he's been here. But yeah. 
Daniel Aolu says, Para fan, feel despite our shortcomings as a roster versus the top tier teams, their inability to generate attack and opportunities in good ball is the root of all our problems. We have no real attacking principle or style that I could see. They do have an attacking principle and style. That's the problem. It's just shit house. They don't know how to get out of it. It's the same shit over and over and over again. And when it doesn't work, they've got no plan B. Mm. It's block, block. It's, you know. Shift for a shift. Down to the post and play a block. It's, it's just crap. Yeah. Lead, man out the back. Lead, man out the back. They don't it's engage. They don't square. It's 2010 footy. Yeah, it's the same shape over and over again. It's long to long. They don't change combinations of passes. They don't change direction. They don't change up shape or leads or wrap around or hit short. It's just long, 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 long with no line engagement. Inside defenders slide off, wonder why there's extra players there. Winger catches it on the sideline or centre and goes, oh, shit, I better come back and field. Um, pretty much just the same thing over and over again. Rinse and repeat. Yep. Aaron Toner, Guzman or Mad Max? I don't eat either. Well, I've eaten both. I've never had either in my entire life. There you go. Well, I'm the food man. I eat fucking everything. I love food. Uh, out of those two, it, it depends. We've only got one Mad Max in Penrith, and Guzman, I've I had... I don't even know what Mad Max was. Well, obviously Mexican. But yeah. I've had the... What's, what's Guzman? What's that? Guzman's Mexican as well. Okay. I've had the original Guzman, which is... I can't remember what it was. I had a training course near it. The original Guzman shop was outstanding. The chain ones we've got here now are crap. Okay. So, in, in Penrith, I'd stick with Mad Max. There you go, man. There you go. Brett Huron says, Every year a team does well when not expected. Another drops down the ladder when expected to do well. Who do you think will be those teams next year and why? Well, I still think there's a lot of water to pass under the bridge before next year in terms of uh, some moves and off-season and recruitment. But... I think the Warriors will shoot up. And I think either Parramatta or South will drop down. Well, I'd probably say Parra a lot more than South. The other one, I think just with a lot of noise coming out of there, I'm a little bit worried about Newcastle. Just yeah. as the year's gone on, injuries, and now you got the Watson thing you got people like Clemmer coming out and saying, oh, I'd be happy to go finish my career at the Bulldogs. And when did you say that? I think during the week or last week, there's been talk about, you know, he wouldn't rule out going back. I'm like, is that a hint? Because he hasn't been getting much of a start. You know, I, I, I don't know. There's, there's been some stuff around Newcastle at, at times that I just, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit intrigued about the Newcastle situation. It's not great. Mm. But, yeah. See what happens, I guess. Gavin Black, do we think Kikau is worth the dollars being reported? And personally, he doesn't think he is. Certainly not at Penrith anyway, and as devastating as he can be, he goes missing more often than not. Slow play the ball and can be a liability in defence. And I think it goes back to what we said before, mate. He, 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 A lot of the good that he does has a lot to do with those inside him at Penrith. And if he goes elsewhere or to a bottom four club, he's definitely not going to get as good a service, as good a role, and to be put in as positive a position so he needs to sum up what's more important to him if it's money and he wants 800000 or more he's going to have to play French rugby or go to a bottom four club or go to a bottom eight club mind you if he wants to be in a competitive good football side like the Penrith Panthers it's definitely not going to be for 800000 I'm pretty sure the Roosters would have enough money to buy him they? not with the two back rows they've got mm. I'd probably rather the two back rows they've got anyway yeah I, look I, I don't think 
he's just not going to get that money at Penrith. Simple as that. No. So I don't he's think going Penrith to make up his mind whether he wants to, you know, career longevity in a good team or whether he wants to go and cash in. If you're going to take, the, if it was all about money, they, they've talked about rugby union. You go to French rugby for sure. French rugby is well beyond the sort of money he what, would make here. Oh, if he plays French rugby for the position that he'd be sort of getting thrown into with their salary cap, he'd be making a million plus easily, which he'd never get here. And clear, you want to talk about longevity? It's a lot less damage on the body playing rugby union. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that, but. Last few to fire through because we still got to do the tips as well. New South Wales Cup, and this is Mark Hindle. If COVID hit, must have a deal to continue. If the Northern Territory can't let Queensland continue, but not let us, or I might have read that wrong, sorry. Must have stepped up, find some. Well, the only thing about this, and I've had a couple of messages the other day, they're not full time. There's not enough people paid to be full time, so it's just not possible. So, if you're going to... For example, out of our Mountie side, there's about three or four guys that are doing footy full-time. Everyone else has got work, kids, wives, houses, mortgages. They can't just go play. They can't be bubbled. It can't be treated the same way. So, unless the the league was coming up with some sort of deal to go regional and televise it and have it catered for by a country town and government. Mick Potter, Lonnie who are at Mounties the, on the cup staff we've all got jobs mm. it just it's not possible unfortunately Justin like 10 times as much as we get it we get it you know doing cup yeah Justin Ferguson which way do you think Fitzy will go with the halves next year will it be Trindle partnering with Hines surely well I think Trindle is probably the closest to a genuine seven even though he's still more of a runner but in terms of kicking and ball playing um, yeah but they've kept Moylan around that, that'd be more like a 2-6 system. I definitely don't think it's going to be Tracy. I think they've kept him for utility value and possibly to even go back and play in the centres again. But they've paid Hines big money and you're certainly not going to move Kennedy out of one with the job he's been doing. So um, it's between Moylan and, and Trindle. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. There got... might be more moves to be made there. Hmm. Three to go. Troy Byrne. Can anything stop the Cowboys from getting the spoon next year? Piss poor recruitment. And good buying from the Bulldogs and Broncos doesn't bode well for them. Really don't have much faith in Peyton's ability to muster the troops. I can't say anything. Yeah, yet. next year. It'll be interesting. I don't think they'll get the spoon. Who gets it next year? Who knows? <laughs> I have to look at that once we have finalised rosters, but... I, I don't know if I'll get the spoon. They've still got some good players on their roster, I think. Yeah. But as in terms of who's going to be yeah, at the bottom, I, look at it, mate. I, d- I definitely wouldn't put him in my eight next year, but I don't know if I'll give him the spoon. Yeah. Uh, Darren Corn will Brad Arthur be the coach in 22? Or with all the noise that's I think, gathering? I think he will be. I think it's ridiculous. Irrespective of what happens, they've, they've got bigger problems. They've got a culture problem at that club. Yeah, I mentioned before. Is it got an identity problem? Board, GM, football manager. Board, they're all, yeah, decide who you want to be. If they're not all on the same page, they've got bigger problems. Maybe genius something. And the last one we've got, the super coach experience. He said, what's our thoughts on the current Daly M system? How can it be improved? And who do we think the top three are right now? Well, I've said it a million yeah, times. Every game, I think, should be like the AFL, where they get 3-2-1, because too many good players miss out on votes in my opinion 
playing in dominant teams. Um, and we've had some results also in the past or judges' scores you look at where it's just horse shit and you can tell they haven't watched the game. And top three, well, Cleary was leading. I still think he'll be in the top three even after missing. Turbo certainly would be right out there right now. And the other one I think would be Cody Walker. That's what I said. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, again, if it was a different system, like the AFL, the 3-2-1, I think your people like your Brandon Smiths and your Jerome Hughes would probably be closer to the mark. But because they're at Melbourne and in a team like that and they still vote off each other, I don't think they'll be anywhere near it at the moment. But there you go. Thousands of questions for the fans, but all done. It's been a long time and you could tell. As soon as I posted that up, that went fucking gangbusters. So... Good times. There you go. Let's fire through these games and the odds. Thanks to bluebet.com.au. If you're going to have a bet with anyone, make sure you do it with bluebet.com.au. Download the app today. Storm Titans kick us off uh, at Seavis on Thursday night. And big blow for the Titans. Brimson, hairline fracture. He's out of the team. Um, He's seen a surgeon. So that's not exactly ideal. Jamal Fogarty's been recalled at halfback taking over for Sexton. Aaron Clark's at hooker. Rain's been dropped. And Tino moves up to prop with Moiaki out. Sam McIntyre goes to lock. Fafita is starting. And Sammy is very, very close. He's been named, uh, it seems, in the reserves. And for Melbourne, Pappenhausen. Jaden Campbell. Pappenhausen moves back to one for Melbourne. George Jennings is back on the wing. Marion Seve is getting a game in the centres with Olam out. Hines goes into the halves with Munster, Bromwich, Harry Grant, Welch. It's Harry's first start with Brandon Smith being rested. Felice, Kenneth, Bromwich and Chris Lewis are the forwards. Jordan Grant, Eisenhuth, Maroa, Cooper Johns on the bench. So Fanukin is having a week off of that head knock along with Hughes. Eremiah dropped out of the team. Olam and Brandon Smith being rested. Regardless, I think Melbourne will equal that all-time record. Yeah, I think so. Uh, those changes, you know, with, with finals in mind, but, yeah, a lot of changes on the Titans side through injury, in particular Brimson and Fotoaka are two big outs. Hope uh, And the odds for that one, $7 now, the Gold Coast Titans with bluebet.com.au, Melbourne $1.10, 20 and a half is the line. It was as much as $9, I think, earlier in the day until Melbourne... Named, obviously, a few of those guys um, that they've named. And, uh, yeah, just prepping for the finals, I guess. Canberra, they're going to be without Jared Croker. He had a head knock. Tommy Starling's now confirmed a broken jaw, so he is out. But big news, Nickel Clogstad's back early from neck surgery. They thought he was going to be out, um, but he's been named on the bench. Seb Chris comes in at centres for Croker, and Matt Frawley comes on the bench to cover for Starling and Harawir and Ira has been suspended, obviously, as we know, for Manly. Tommy Turbo has been named, despite all the rumours. Brad Parker will be missing and replaced by Suli after that concussion, and Tawafal simply returns on the bench. Uh, for me, I, I think Canberra played their grand final last week. I don't know if they'll be able to back it up. Yeah, if Tommy plays, I'm tipping Manly. Yeah. If he does, then I'll give Canberra a chance. And similar deal in terms of betting. I looked at it earlier when they said he was going to be out, but they've named him. Um, unless Des is playing silly buggers, which he certainly can do, or I think their grand final was last week for the Raiders. Yeah. And the odds are reflected with bluebet.com.au. The Raiders are $4, $1.25, are Manly minus 14.5. 
is the line there. Panther South, absolute cracker. Um, two good Friday night games, really, if uh, that first one turns out to be good. But for Penrith, uh, Nathan, obviously, game number two, positive for them. They've still got Momorowski and Burton in the centres and Crichton and Nathan on the wings with Edwards at the back. Coruscant returns at nine. Eisenhuth and Leota in the front row. The back row, Kikau, Martin and Yo. And the bench sees the return of Catewell. He's with Sorensen, Hopgood and Kenny. But the extended bench, Fisher-Harris and Pungai Jr. in 19 and 21. Hopefully, two late inclusions. If so, you think Eisenhuth would go back to the bench. And uh, with Pungai coming into the bench as well, someone would miss out potentially a Sorensen or a Hopgood or even Kenny, depending on what they're thinking about Coruscant's minutes. But, uh, yeah, big chance there that they're going to be pretty much full strength. And for South Sydney, Braden Burns and Jackson Paulo out of the team. Dan Gagai set to return. Campbell Graham back in as well. Mansour pushes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. To the other wing with Alex Johnston returning. From injury, forward pack is the same and uh, the bench pretty much the same as last week. So this should be should be a really good game of football. Who, who do you like in this one? I like South. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of with you. Just leaning towards, like I said, Penrith haven't had... Just I don't think Penrith are at full tilt at the moment. Nah, which is why I mean... Even a month I'll be tipping Penrith, but right now I think South are running hot. Yeah. And that's sort of the point I was making earlier. I don't think a loss is critical for Penrith. I think they're lacking some cohesion. They've had a lot of ins and outs and injuries and suspensions and origin. And Souths have sort of been ticking along nicely with nowhere near as much drama. So uh, I think it'll be a really good game of football. But, yeah, I think Souths might just pip them. Yeah. With Blue Bet, their slide outside of South Sydney. Penrith are $1.70, dollars for Souths. Minus 2.5 is the line there. Tiger Sharks is essentially... An elimination game, as it has been the whole time for the Tigers. Uh, and McKaylee and Jacob Little are offset. They're out of the team. James Tarmow returns at prop. Jake Simpkins starts at nine. And James Roberts is back as well on the interchange bench for the Sharks. Mulitalo got named despite a HIA. Uh, Maureen Hiroti returns in the centres. Sefer Talakai goes back to the pack. Rudolph goes from lock up to prop. Ueli is on the interchange bench and Tolman was suspended for one game. Um, and also, like we said earlier, thoughts and prayers with uh, Andrew Fafita, who's obviously out of the side this week and uh, in that induced coma. So hopefully he's uh, all good. But this one, it's a hard one to pick, I think. I think, in all honesty, the Sharks should win. But a few of the weeks I thought they were going to win, they've been terrible. A week like last week where I thought it was all there for Newcastle, the, I thought the Sharks turned up. So uh, I still think they've, they've both got something to play for, but the Sharks have to win. So. Yeah, I'm going to get Tigers. Tigers. And the odds on that one, slide outsiders, $2.40 with blue bet. 
Uh, the Tigers, the Sharks, a dollar fifty-five minus four and a half is the line. Dogs, Newcastle, um, the swag of injuries for both these teams. Avarillo, suspected broken hand. Meany has a head knock, and despite doubts over their availability, uh, they've got a bit of a, a reshuffle here. Flanagan's been named at seven. Beyond Yato's on the bench for now, but if Avarillo's out, he'll likely go straight back in at six. In terms of covering for Meany, well, I think fellow Kiku Manu would probably get a run in the back line and they'll push Hopwade or Allen back to the back if that's the case to cover. Ryan James is there again in the front row but Luke Thompson returns this week and with hooker injuries uh, in terms of both of their nines being out in Sione Katoa and Jeremy Marshall King they've got Jackson Tapine playing hooker this week. Elliot, Waddell, Jackson are the back row and, uh, yeah, it's it's a fair few changes. But for Newcastle, the two big ones come in their forward pack. Frizzell suspended for a week. And, obviously, Daniel uh, Safidi, potential long-term injury, three to five weeks, which is a big blow. I think, finally, a debut, if he hasn't already debuted on the bench for a young forward who was talented in their system, uh, Gerard Mamacia. He tore his Achilles the start of the year and was possibly going to miss the whole season, but he's been named. Um, but yeah, despite those injuries and changes, the Dogs have got as much drama. Newcastle, this could really seal their position, so I'm going the Knights. Yeah, Knights, And uh, the odds will probably reflect that, regardless of the injuries, and they do with Blue Bet. $5 the Dogs, $1.15 at Newcastle. Parramatta versus the Cowboys, an absolute must win for the Parramatta side, and they've had a reshuffle. Madison's suspended. Obviously, after that shot, so he won't play again until finals. Murata Niakore goes to the back row. Oregon Kafusi returns to fill his spot on the bench. Centre, Tommy Opacek and Michael Oldfield have been pulled out of the side after last week's edge shredding. Uh, William Penasini gets a second crack, and Hayes Dunster is brought back in. So it's a very young edge, but for the Cowboys, Kyle Felt. And Carl Hess have been named despite uh, a head knock. And the youngster, Griffin Neem, who played last week, is a definite out after he copped a ban already in his first game for a crush tackle. Reuben Cotter returns, though, after a long-term injury on the bench. Mitch Dunn, there's been a bit of a late swap there. And Tamalolo has been named also in the extended bench. So that's, uh, that's interesting. He broke his hand, apparently, for the third time last week. Tabuai Fido's in the extended bench as well. Um, so a potential couple of late-ins, but this is pretty simple. If the Eels don't win this one, they're in real big trouble. They're already in massive trouble, but this would be the yeah, absolute... They're not going to win this game. Matters. Like, they're going to play finals. We know that. They're not going to be in the top four. We know that. So this game... Yeah, it's more about confidence than it is about a result. Yeah. It's more about a performance than it is about a result. I'll tip them, but a loss wouldn't shock me. No. Same here. I'm with bluebet.com. They're $1. twenty-nine. Cowboys, three fifty-five. Fuck, you can leave your twenty-nine at the door. 100%. I'm not touching that shit. <laughs> Jesus. Dragons, Roosters. Uh, this one, hard one again, just with injuries and changes, but on the Dragons side, McCulloch. He's going to be out for the rest of the year with that injury. Josh McGuire's going to fill in at nine. They're still ringing around, I think, trying to get a hooker because they don't have one, essentially, I think, in the bubble with them. I thought they had Billy Britton still with them, but 
looking at the way this has been named, that's not the case. I thought if that was it, they might have pushed Kloon or somebody there just out of need. Um, but, yeah. Jack DeBellin moves from lock to fill that spot. Sims comes back from suspension to wear the 13. Kate Ellis is promoted. Who's playing on DeBellin? No, Maguire. Oh, sorry, Jesus Christ. goes to the front row, Sims is in the back row, Kate Ellis is starting in the front row, and Amone is starting at six, Norman. Big McGuire. Yeah, Norman's moved to seven, Amone's in at six, and they've got Dufty at fullback and Bird back in the centre, so he hasn't picked Sloan. No, of course he hasn't. He hasn't named He's Sloan, he hasn't named Sullivan. He's a goose. So, yeah, I don't know the point. Um, and again, if you're going to bother with Maguire at nine, why don't you just pick Clune or someone to play there? Yeah. It's, you know, but for the Roosters, like we said, it's been a hard run and it's continuing on their side of things. They welcome back Jared Rear Hargroves, but obviously Victor Radley accepted a three-match ban for that tackle. Liu moves back to lock to fill that gap left by him. Uh, the only other change was Ben Thomas comes onto the bench and a swap with Nafahu White who debuted last week, and they're going to monitor Satili Tupanua after a head knock he caught last week. So, yeah, um, yeah I'm going to go the Roosters again. Yeah, Roosters. Uh, even though I think, again, they've been doing some heavy lifting and they've had some tough games. I think it might be a little bit tighter than expected just because of the toll that they've been, you know, kind of carrying here. And again, getting Jarrah back in is great, but still missing Crichton, now missing Radley. Like, they've really been pushing things uphill, but... Um, yeah, I just don't have a lot of faith in the Dragons at this point either. And the bookies reflect that at bluebet.com. They're $3.80, the Dragons, $1.26 for the Roosters. Minus 12.5 is the line. And the last game is a pretty hard one, I think. The Broncos versus the Warriors. There's been a bit of a bit of a surge from the Broncos in terms of form and the Warriors. Injury suspensions, lots against them, but they've put together a nice little run uh, for the Broncos. Milford is now back in after playing off the bench to start at six with Tyson Gamble out for two games for a crusher. Albert Kelly, he takes over at seven, so he might be good to go. And Scans cleared Denny Levi. So he's going to be in at nine. Herbie Farmworth's been named, even though he didn't train last week. Uh, and David Mead drops to the extended bench with Bullimore returning after making way last week. And young Xavier Willison is out. He has a badly damaged ACL, so that's terrible news for him. Two games as an 18-year-old and now a torn ACL. Not good. Yeah, it's terrible. For the Warriors, Dallin Wateen Zalesniak returns after a ban, and it's his 150th game. Edward Cozy drops back to the bench for him. Reese Walsh is fined for that melee that he caused, but he's still able to play. And Jermaine Tanoa-Brown is promoted in place of rookie Jackson Fry, who debuted last week, who drops back to the extended bench while Bailey Syrian pushes Tavaga back to the bench. This is a tough one, I think. Warriors. Yeah, I'm going them for the same reason, just because there's still a chance, but Brisbane have certainly been a handful and were a handful last week. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But the odds reflect that as well. The uncertainty with Bluebet.com. The Broncos are a dollar ninety-five. The Warriors a dollar eighty-five, and there is no line on this game. So yeah, yeah, tough one. Tough one, man. That essentially, if they don't win, the Warriors. If the Sharks lose and the Tigers win, 
that brings that log jam a bit closer. If the Raiders lose, Titans look like there could be a bunch of teams lose this weekend all in that log jam, and the only winner be Newcastle, which would essentially put them in yeah, the puts them in. in the clear. I think they're a dollar twenty at the moment to to get in. Yeah, I think if that result goes this weekend, they'll be on eleven wins, and everyone under them has the potential to lose. So Titans and Raiders have difficult games. If they both lose, then Newcastle's definitely in. They would have to have to win both their last two games. Newcastle lose both and four and against would push them out because their four and against is worse. That's not going to happen. I wouldn't think so. But if they all lose, there's still a race on with those last two weeks, uh, potentially for the Sharks, the Dragons, and if the Warriors or Tigers could win, but... Yeah, it's looking really likely that if Newcastle get the job done this week, that they'll be home and hosed for one of those spots at least. Yeah. But there you go. There's three hours worth of content. Three hours, man. That's a fucking lot. That is a long pod. Yes, that is a lot of fan questions. We just do it for the fans. So, there you go. I'll, I'll try and put time markers on that, but I don't remember when we started them, but I've looked before we uploaded it because it's now officially midnight and I've got to wake up at 5am, so that should be fun. Happy days. How good. For the fans. But big thanks to Penrith Solar Centre. There is no one better. If you're going to get on board with somebody, let it be Penrith Solar Centre. And if you're going to bet with anyone, do it with bluebet.com.au. Download the app today or visit the website. And we had a charity win last week. Big old Alec R2. Hopped on him two times, got no love. Hopped back on for a third. Found some cash, so we're up to 692.50. So we'll find another winner this week, hopefully, and keep the ball rolling. Yep. There you go. For now, everybody, stay safe. Stay active. Talk to your friends, your family, your loved ones. We've had, uh, as we said, inboxes, messages, any questions, feel free to send through or reply as soon as we can. But for now, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it?